the Appalachian Trail is so very special to me. I, I, it's my favorite topic in the world, and that sign is so iconic. And to think of how many people have touched that sign and felt the same exact emotion that I felt when I was up there, it's just so powerful. Until you actually do it and and, and experience that for yourself, you'll never be able, to, be able to explain to somebody what that feeling is like after hiking, you know, two thousand one hundred and ninety miles to to. I know, you know, to, to reach that, that goal finally, it's just, it's an unbelievable feeling. Welcome to 2020 and the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is I.B. Tat, known off-trail as Jeff Oliver. He found his sobriety in the mountains, and his Instagram handle, Saved by Mountains, is quite literal. Through hiking has become his new drug of choice. This episode was recorded shortly after he came off the PCT in late October, so we of course have to talk about the conditions in the North Cascades, as well as his adventures on the PCT and AT. And coffee is a must. If you've watched his vlog, you'll understand. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Ivy Tat. All right. How's it going? It's good. Oh, how are you feeling at this point? Yeah, body is uh, pretty messed up at the moment. It's been just over a week since I got home from the trail. So my feet are still swollen and my knees are pretty shot. But, um, you know, just walking around the neighborhood trying to stay active and not, you know, not having my joints lock up is the main priority right now. Yeah. How does this coming off trail compared to and for listeners who don't or haven't been following you uh you just came off the pct basically uh for this year correct but how does coming off the pct this year compare to coming off the at well you're riding a mental high i mean when i first for both trails when i first got home i was drained and excited at the same time like you're trying to process in your mind what you just accomplished which is damn near impossible but you're riding a high, but also it just, it just drained the shit out of you on both trails. Like you went through so much and your brain is trying to process all that. Meanwhile, it's exhausted from, you know, hiking over 2000 miles. So it's, it's just a weird feeling. You feel drained, but you feel like you need to be walking or doing something. That's all you've been doing for the past six months. So I don't know. It's hard to describe, but. Are the feelings any different coming off of this trail versus the last one? Or is it basically kind of the same? Uh, it's basically the same. Uh, it's still early, but yeah, I kind of been riding a high. Like you, you, you feel a sense of accomplishment on both both trails. At least I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I already know going through it once that you know the whole post trail depression and all that, and your and your body recovering. That's all going to happen in, in due time. So I'm I'm bracing myself for that. Hopefully this time around, I've learned a little bit about myself from last year. So the transition will be a little easier, but. Yeah, it's it's basically the same feeling as, as when I got off the AT as far as the excitement and all that goes. 
How was your completion of the AT? Like, what were those feelings? And, and I guess, what, what was your version of post-trail depression? Well, so the AT, I, I did not want to get off the trail. I, <laughs> I was ready to hike another six months at that point. Just head um, south? Where the, yeah, I could have just flip-flopped and went south. If I had the time and the money and not a dog to come home to, I would have just kept going. I, I, I was not ready to get off the trail. So, yeah, I slowed way down towards the end, just milking it for all it was worth. <laughs> um, whereas this year, it was kind of like my body was had been through so much, and mentally I was just completely exhausted that, you know, physically and mentally I was ready to wrap, this, to wrap the PCT up this year when I did finish it. Yeah. Well, the PCT was sort of pushing you to wrap it up as well at that point. <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't have a choice. We kind of pushed the envelope on the weather window there. So yeah, if we were away any longer, it would have been lights out there. I mean, that was it was pretty sketch what we had hiked through the last sixty miles. So we probably shouldn't have been out there. But you know, me and the crew I was with were all stubborn, and we were going to get to the Canadian border regardless. So yeah, I I was watching some of those those videos of you in those last sixty miles, and it's so interesting that you know when the trail is bare, it's a nice little trail through the wilderness. But with snow on right. top of it, like you guys were on a, you know, a 70 degree slope. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Unfortunately, the videos and the photos will never do it justice. <laughs> um, only the only only the three other guys that I hiked with through that will be able to understand. But it was, yeah, I, without putting, I mean, putting it lightly, I mean, it was it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. We, we probably shouldn't have been out there. You know, there was a couple instances, uh, specifically Rock Pass, um, which is, is pretty sketch and it's a very, you know, steep degree, you know, downslope there. But when we were going across that, um, that snow traverse there on the ridge line, we were causing many avalanches as we were going through. Yeah. And I remember looking at my buddies after we crossed that, that, uh, ridge line and we're looking back, we're like, there's no way in hell somebody's gonna be able to come behind us because we just caused a bunch of mini avalanches and uh, the trail was just completely covered. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty sketch, but you know, luckily we were all stubborn as hell and we were all in it together. So we weren't being stupid about it. We were taking it slow and and being safe about it. Um, But yeah, it was, it was pretty dangerous (laughs) for sure. And on top of that, it was just exhausting. I mean, we're hiking through, we were post holing basically the last, well, Really, the last 200 miles, there's a lot of post holing, but the last 60 in particular, you know, there was, you know, waist deep snow banks at times yeah. um, where the snow had gathered that we were, we were pushing through. So I remember at one point it, t- it had taken us um, about two hours to go a half a mile. <laughs> so it was, it, yeah, it was very, uh, it, it beat you down mentally for sure. How was that for your frustration level? And it wasn't too frustrating because we okay. we known going in there that it was going to be like that. I mean, we weren't expecting to have to go that slow, but it was at that point it was a matter of safety first. So mm-hmm. we didn't really care. We we hauled out extra food in case you know it was going to take us longer. So we kind of had an idea it was going to be slow going, not that slow, but you know we had food on us and we were just you know taking it one step at a time basically and get through it as as safely as possible. Right now, when did you hook up with these guys? Like when did the four of you kind of group together and go, okay, we're going to make a run for the border. Okay. So I, after I got into Stevens Pass is when the first blizzard had happened. Um, I had hiked through like 10 hours of rain, woke up the next morning. There was about two feet of snow on the ground. 
So I'd gone into Stephen pa- Stevens Pass and linked up with a couple hikers that were in town that I still wanted to continue, whereas most of the people that were in town there were just dropping white flies. They're like, I'm not going yeah. out on that. But I was I was like, I'm ready to go. Who wants to go with me? So I had recruited two other hikers that were in town to go. Unfortunately, they had bailed uh, the night. One bailed the night before, and the other one bailed that morning. I was heading out. <laughs> so I was, I was by myself, like, oh, thanks a lot. So here I go. And uh, so I headed out solo. I had known of a group of four that headed out of the day before me. So I'm like, well, I don't think I can catch them, but maybe I can. So I just pushed big miles by myself the first two days. And on the third day, I actually caught up with them. So that's how I, I joined their group. Got and it. luckily I did because, you know, yeah. going, looking back at what I got, we had gone through, I, most likely I would have bailed if I was out there solo because it was just that dangerous. Yeah. But at that point, once you pass Leavenworth and Stevens Pass, there's not really good places to bail at that point, is there? True. Well, you got Hearts Pass, but um, by the time we had reached Hearts Pass, the road was basically impassable. There was no traffic up there. Yeah. Um, so we would have, I think it was like a, maybe a, a 20 mile road walk. We would have had to, you know, walk it out, but there was no, no getting out of there as far as getting a hitch or anything like that. So yeah, Hearts Pass was the last bailout point, And I believe that's around 30 miles to the Canadian border. So yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, uh, we had left, um, we had told the last we stayed at, uh, Raven's Roost there and, um, we had told her that we were heading out, obviously, and Forest Service and Search and Rescue all knew we were heading out. So, mm-hmm. you know, they had our contact information in case things had happened. So um, we just took those precautionary measures and just, uh, you know, we, we were going to make it one way or another. So <laughs> that's what we did. Did you have a like a spot or an inReach or anything like that with you? Yeah, I did have a spot. And I believe one other member of my crew had a Garmin or something. You know, the, I, from my experience using that spot this year, especially in the Sierra, um, it was very hit or miss. Obviously, I'd never tried the SOS button, but I would say getting text messages, that was about 50-50 with that thing. Um, but I did have it in case, you know, something was to happen and we had to get a helicopter out of there or something like that. Now, did you, when you were in Leavenworth, did you have to kind of reposition your gear um, or restock whatever your gear at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was still dressed like a summertime through hiker with the shorts <laughs> and everything else. So it's like, okay, this if I'm serious about going into this stuff, I've got to go to REI or something and, and mm-hmm. do something about it. So yeah, I went to REI and I got new rain pants and I got snow gaiters. I got new uh, boots, selling the boots and Gore-Tex and all that good stuff. I had previously purchased a really good rain jacket that was Gore-Tex, you know, just stuff, winter gear, basically. I had to I had sent home my micro spikes and uh, crampons after the Sierra thinking I wasn't going to need them again, but I had to go rebuy micro spikes at the last minute. <laughs> I bought a new ice axe at the last minute. It was just like, you know, getting all the winter gear that I already sent home because, you know, I didn't have time to have it shipped up. So I was like, here we go. If we're going to need that. If we're going to go into this stuff, we better be prepared. So yeah, the yeah. gear definitely got upgraded there in Leavenworth. Okay, this is going to be really silly of me to ask, but I'm from Leavenworth. So there's an REI in Leavenworth now? <laughs> no, there isn't. I actually. Der Sportsman um, or something like that? No, I made a con. I have, you know, I had a bunch of contacts from doing oh, the YouTube right. thing and all that stuff. So I was able to reach out to somebody that was able to drive down and pick me up and take me to REI so I could get that gear. There was an uh, outfitter, I believe, in Leavenworth, which yeah, I was able is. to get a couple things, but but they didn't have like, you know, major stuff like ice axes and things like that. So 
Right. You would have had to go into Wenatchee to get stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. When did you start hitting weather? Was that at Snoqualmie or? Um, Snoqualmie, yeah. Actually, White Pass was the first time mm-hmm. it actually snowed on us. Heading in, um, yeah, heading in over White Pass, it became a blizzard at that point. But luckily, we were pretty close to getting into town at that point. So, th- yeah, that was the first encounter we had with snow. And then Stevens Pass was when it really dumped. And I believe that's about, I can't remember the mileage from the border, but yeah, it was uh, Stevens Pass is when the, the real snow happened. And then we actually, um, the last 60 miles, we hiked into a three day storm. So there's actually three different instances of snow that happened on the last stretch of trail. So Mother Nature was like, okay, this is what you get for taking so long to finish the trail. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel like, like watching your videos and, and watching your journey on the PCT this year, and even on the AT last year, I mean, Mother Nature and the trail were conspiring to to throw some twists at you. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know if I've, I've pissed off the weather gods or not, but yeah, <laughs> last year on the AT was was one of the wettest years on the East Coast in, in years. So, you know, basically my underwear and socks didn't dry out for an entire six months on the AT. And then here we get, you know, Luckily, this year on the PCT, we did have a wet desert, so water wasn't an issue. We weren't hauling like six, seven liters of water through the desert this year. But yeah, I mean, having snow in early October, you know, you just can't predict that. It happens. It wasn't the first year that's happened, but finishing October 25th like I did, I don't think anybody's ever finished that late. So yeah, we were we were definitely um, behind, behind the weather, uh, the favored weather for sure. When you started the AT, I guess to kind of cycle back for a second. When you originally sure. started the AT, I saw a couple of videos or I watched a couple of videos and you kind of were talking about your journey to the AT. Can you go into that a little bit and just kind of talk, tell me, tell the audience about it? About planning through hiking on the AT? Uh, well, planning through that hiking, whole process? but also about what led you to the AT. So my first experience well, my first understanding of the Appalachian Trail was, you know, Bill Bryson got me hook, line, and sinker when that book came out. I read The Walk in the, Walk in the Woods early on, and, and I, I read it, and I thought it was a great book, and but didn't think of anything of it as far as the through-hiking thing goes. It wasn't until I moved to North Carolina, um, and I recently got into backpacking, and I was doing the weekend warrior-type stuff. So um, I had gone up uh, – being in North Carolina, I was very close to the Appalachian Trail. I was, you know – an hour from uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina, Max Patch, Roan Highlands are very close, and Virginia is not far of a drive. So I started doing weekend trips on the Appalachian Trail, section hiking a lot of the southern section when I lived in North Carolina. Um, and then I met a couple through hikers on top of Max Patch on a weekend trip, and that was, you know, that was my first real um, understanding of through hiking what it was. I saw those guys walk off of Max Patch, and I'm like, holy shit, those guys are walking to Maine. That is the coolest thing ever. So. I went home from that trip and uh, started researching like a nerd. And two years later, I was on the AT for my through hike. So I, I had done a lot of section hiking on it leading up to that, but um, you know, never a long distance type stuff. And having done the section hiking and then going out there f- for real, shall we say, or for longer term, mm. sure. how did those two expectations match up? It was the the through hike was really no different than my section hikes, just obviously a, a longer stretch of time. Really, um, you know, when I did those section hikes, I I, I didn't want to get off the trail. It was very similar to my through. I just I just loved being out there, 
And there's there's something about the Appalachian Trail that it just it holds a special place in my heart. It just feels like home out there. I absolutely love it. Now, I, the northern section of the AP was all unknown to me. I hadn't hiked north of Virginia, so but the southern section it just felt like home. So I remember going back to some of those sections I had done the year before on my through. And it was a weird sense of deja vu, but it was just very peaceful. And I'm like, I just had a shit eating grin on my face because I, I remember remembering the year before wishing I was out here on a through hike. And now I actually was. So it was a very surreal moment. And I, I, it was it was awesome revisiting those spots again. And I mean, you very diligently, very thoroughly documented like the entire trip on both trails, actually. Yeah try to blog every day. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you not only had the job of, of through hiking the trail, but you had the job of documenting it. And I, I've got to assume, and I obviously I've seen a little bit of your videos talking about it, but I mean, that's a full-time job. That's and a lot of extra miles that you walk back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I get that question, uh, question quite often. Like how many miles is it added to your hike, you know, like setting up camera shots and walking past the camera and going back mm-hmm. to the camera. And, you know, sometimes I would do that 20 times a day. So I guess it did add up. I, I'm kind of curious of how many extra miles <laughs> I've actually hiked. Um, and yeah, it became a, you know, towards the end of both through hikes, it did become sort of a job, but it's also my passion. So, you know, if I didn't love doing it, there's no way in hell I would have kept doing it every single day. Obviously I love doing it because, you know, through hiking a long trail is hard enough let alone filming yourself doing it. So there's a love for videography and photography and documenting that those trips that I, I just absolutely enjoy. So that's why I continue to do it. But yeah, towards the end, I, I started to get burnt out and it, it, it started to feel like a job, more so the editing part at mm-hmm. night where you're just so exhausted because I would edit every single night in my tent. So when you're, you know, doing 30 plus mile day and you're, all you want to do is eat and sleep, but now you have to sit and edit a video because if you don't do that night, then, you know, chances are you want to do tomorrow nights. And then all of a sudden you've got footage backing up. So it was an every night thing. I tried to make a, a, a point to stay up on that every single night, but you know, you know, some people are out there on these long trails, putting pen to paper every night, journaling their thoughts. It's just no different. I just put it on video. It was my video journal, and that's how I started doing it. I wanted to be able to look back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now and be able to watch every day of my hike on video. I think it's pretty cool. And I still revisit some of those old videos from the AT, and it puts a smile on my face. So I'm glad I've, I've done it. it. It should. They're they're pretty amazing to watch. And, and you definitely are- have- <laughs> Go for it. No, well, I was going to say some are better than others. You can tell the ones <laughs> that I was very extremely tired that day and didn't want to film, but, but I appreciate that. I, I try to put a lot of work into them and, you know, it's, I, the comments that I really love getting are, you know, I have a disability and I can't get out on the trail or I have a wife and kids or a husband and kids at home and a mortgage and I'll never be able to long distance hike and you bring the trail that much closer to me. So, you know, those kinds of comments on my, particular bad days when I didn't want to film kept me doing it because I knew I had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that watch me walk every day that are expecting that and, and get great pleasure out of that, even if it's only 10 minutes a day. So yeah, um, that's what kept me going a lot of times through the, through the tough times of filming. Yeah. They're, they're taking your walk with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Living vicariously, you know, <laughs> I, but I also try to at least, 
you know, if I can motivate at least one person for my videos to say, hey, I'm not happy where I'm at in life. I'm mm-hmm. sick of this dead end job. You know, maybe I can downsize my life and I can work towards it through hike or a long section hike or do, you know, something like the John Muir Trail, or Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail. There's a million long trails, you know, quote unquote long trails that you can do in a shorter period of time. So I do try to, you know, you know, at least motivate one or two people to change their lifestyle and say, hey, it is possible. You got to make some sacrifices, but there's no reason why you can't do it, you know? And particularly, like you said, you started with the section hikes. So you certainly, you can address that when people are like, well, it's not the same thing or it's not a real through hike or, you know, do you hear that? Through, yeah, through hiking is, it's been built up in this, this amazing thing like, oh, I'm not a hiker if I don't through hike. That's, that's just not the case. I mean, I, I did absolutely love weekend warrior stuff and, and section hiking a week long here, a week long there. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you can't take time off to do a six month hike, there's nothing wrong with that. Take, you know, save up, do a week long trip. It's, it's just as fun. You know, unfortunately I've been ruined by the long distance thing. <laughs> so. Uh, I tried to go on weekend trips, especially like when I got home from the ET, it, it, it wasn't the same. It was just a tease for me, but you know, there's nothing wrong with just doing section hike. I've met plenty of people on the AT. I think I met this woman that had taken her 30 years to section hike the entire Appalachian trail. And when I met her, she was wrapping up her final section. So, I mean, that's, that's completely awesome. Yeah. It's, it's achieving the goal of, of essentially through hiking the trail. It's it's a different definition a, than what people traditionally do, but it's still you're through hiking the the, ter- the trail. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not at all. You know, it's it's the experience. You, you know, getting out in the woods is the main thing. You know, you get a lot of people get wrapped up in mileage and oh, I'm a through hiker now, so I need to do 30 miles a day, or I'm not a through hiker. There was plenty of days. My shortest mile a day day on the PCT was four miles this year. And I didn't have a single amount of guilt. I found a killer camp spot and said, I'm done walking. I'm going to camp here. So people get caught up in numbers. But the main thing is just you're out in the woods. You know, I remember hitting that 2000 mile mark this year. And it's like, yeah, 2000 is a hell of a milestone. But the big picture, I just spent the last four or five months living in my tent to reach this 2000 miles. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Speaking of 2000 miles, how did you, I mean, on the AT, you're going through states rather rapidly. And on the PCT, like you're in California forever. Yeah, for like three years, you're in California. <laughs> you, you might, yeah, you're almost a, a, a California citizen by the time you leave, you feel like one. Yeah. How, how was that of uh, delayed gratification, I guess? Yeah. So, when I was on the Appalachian Trail last year, I had a buddy that was on the PCT and we were, you know, talking back and forth through social media and whatnot. And he kept, he reached out to me once. I remember I was somewhere in Virginia, I think. And he's, he was following me on Instagram. He's like, man, you know, I, I'm following your posts and you just keep knocking out these states left and right. And I've been in California for like three months now. It's just very discouraging. And, um, like it's just the lay of the land, man. It's a longer state and you just, you know, hunker down and, but after I, and I was trying to encourage him, but then when I got out on the trail and started hiking through California, I'm like, I don't know what that guy was talking about. California is so diverse. It felt like you were hiking through multiple states at times, but then it hit me when I get, got to Northern California. And it's like, 
okay, it's almost, <laughs> you know, 1500 miles later and now I get it. It's like, it's time to ch- get, get on and move on to another state. So yeah, it, it took till getting to Northern California to actually hit me, but yeah, it just, it's drug on it. I mean, it's like 1700 miles here in California. Yep. It's, it's, it's like, uh, mentally it can, it can destroy you for sure. But California is beautiful, and I had never been there before. I had never been to California, Oregon, or Washington before. So um, seeing the, the diversity of California was just mind-blowing to me. It was awesome. I saw your, your videos in the desert, and, and you, were, you were very much enjoying the vistas. Yeah, coming from the Green Tunnel, especially when you might hike like 10, 12 miles and see one view, you know, getting out there with some wide-open spaces was just new, new ter- terrain for me. And it's like, wherever you look, it's like photo here, photo there. It's like, it's sensory, it's sensory overload. It's like, I'm not used to these views, you know? Um, you, you get a little taste of that when you get to like the White Mountains in New Hampshire and things like that. But it's, it's nowhere compared to hiking through the desert. It was just completely different for me. How, how were, how many did you, uh, rattlesnakes did you run into? Not many. Um, and it's probably a good thing because I have, two fears in life, major fears. One is open water and the other is snakes. I will run pissing my pants in the <laughs> other direction. If, if, if I see a gardener snake, it's just, I don't know what it is. I've never been st- like struck at by a snake before in my life. I don't know where it comes from, but yeah, I'm definitely terrified of them. I had two rattlers rattle at me, which I never saw either one of them. They were in bushes right off the trail. And, you know, they never came off in a video because I wasn't hanging around to film that shit. I got <laughs> out of there. So, yeah, I don't I don't deal with snakes. On the, on the AT, there's a lot of black snakes across the trail, which, you know, I got used to those. But rattlers, mm-hmm. if I heard one on the PCT, I was running. I, I wasn't sticking around to, to see or say, oh, I need to get this guy in video. I just I hate him. So luckily, I never had any encounters as far as strikes or even seeing one. Which is almost it's sort of like good news, bad news. I could, I would imagine because when you hear a rattle, but you can't see yeah. it, it's like, oh my god, where is it? Where's the ghost? I know there's a ghost here somewhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know it's it's weird because you know I'd be getting the camp one night, and maybe some other hikers camped around. They're like, dude, I just saw like four rattlesnakes today, and I was literally hiking maybe a quarter mile behind them the whole day. So it's like, I never saw them, but they saw every single one of them. So I guess I got, I got lucky. <laughs> I don't know. They were out there. I know they're out there. I probably passed by, you know, a lot more than I never saw. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I got lucky, I guess. They didn't consider you dangerous, I guess, at that point. I suppose, or I just smelled that bad that, you know, they couldn't <laughs> even stand to be around me. Oh, yeah. How was hiker trash living? Oh, I love hiker tracks living. I'm I'm lazy back home, so it's not a big stretch for me. Uh, I think the longest stretch I ever went with the, without a shower was like 18 days. But you know, I'd be in I'd be in towns, and I was like, oh, I don't give a shit anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, I try to keep my I try on trail. I try to keep my feet clean as much as possible yeah. because you know that's your that's your, those are your wheels, those are your tires. You need to keep those going. So I would try to wipe my feet down whenever I could. Which in the desert, it's kind of difficult to do because water situations, but you know, you carry baby wipes and, and try to keep that, that going. But yeah, the hiker trash thing, it's, it's very satisfying getting to a town, just sitting outside a gas station, eating a tub of ice cream and not think twice about it. <laughs> As you watch the tourists do make a wide circle around you. Yeah. I had this, there was one instance where I can't remember what town it was. It was a, you get to a road crossing and most hikers go one way 
and I went the other way because there was a Walmart down there and I wanted to get a decent resupply. So I went the other way, which I guess not that town doesn't see a lot of hikers because most are going the other direction. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting outside a gas station, probably eating ice cream. I don't remember now, but I had some guy ask to offer, he offered me money to feed me that night. They thought you know, I was legit homeless, you know? <laughs> and I, meanwhile, I've got like thousands of, of dollars of gear sitting right next to me, but he wasn't used to, he never seen a through hiker before. So I, I explained to him what I was doing and he actually drove me back to the trail that, that evening. So yeah, he thought I was a legit homeless person. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I would, once your gear gets dirty without knowing, you know, the, the tags and, and what that means in dollar numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you exactly. Know? People just assume you're, assume you're, assume you're homeless. It's, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the majority of towns these days, the long trails are getting so popular, specifically the 18 and PCT that everybody's used to seeing hikers in most of these towns. So it's, it's no big thing, but. Yeah, I I had to laugh. I think you were, you were in hiker heaven, or maybe like right around there, and you were filming like the pizza and the food and and all the rest of kind of the food stuff. And I was watching. I'm like, this is almost like food porn, like the way that you were <laughs> filming it. Yeah, cut it yeah, together. It, it, particularly zero days. You know, I I didn't film a lot of zero days because I just wanted to take a day off from filming. You know, I just wanted to relax like everybody else, but. Sometimes I would get bored and I was like sitting there looking at my pizza and I'm like, I'm going to film like a, a little Caesars commercial or a pizza Hut commercial. Mm-hmm. So I would try to do the nice slow motion shots of like the cheese melting it, <laughs> and, you know, lifting it up and, and all these close up slow mo shots. Like it was a commercial. It was pretty funny. It just kept me entertained. It worked. It was making me hungry. I wanted a, I wanted a pizza. <laughs> now on the AT, you, you had a bit of issues with, like your feet and with your ankles and that kind of stuff. Did that also resurface yeah. on the PCT? So on the AT, I had an ankle issue. Uh, I, you know, the ankle thing I'll get to in a second, but the mm-hmm. the main issue I had on the AT was my, my shin. I had oh. taken a, a spill on a wet rock up in Parisburg, mm. Virginia. And I literally, I thought I broke my leg. I slipped and fell and my whole leg went numb for a while. I ended up coming to and, and walking by limp on it for like 70 miles or something like that. Um, and that was, that was very difficult, but eventually went away and I finished, um, my ankle was, is a reoccurring injury from like three years ago. Uh, I was hiking in a place called the Lindell Gorge in Western North Carolina. And I had a third degree ankle sprain at the bottom of the gorge. And, you know, rather than taking a week off or two weeks, like the doctor told me, I actually went hiking on it like three days later. <laughs> it's, the videos on my YouTube channel, you can go way back and watch me. I'm like mm-hmm. stumbling around with my dog with like a, a cane, you know, just to get out of my tent. But it was stupid because now it's come back to haunt me. And the ankle was a, a big issue this year on the PCT. You can, if you go back and watch a lot of that footage, you'll see me limping past the camera. And yeah. that, you know, that was legit limping because it hurt really bad. There's not much I could do about it other than take days off in town and ice it and elevate and all that good stuff. But I remember specifically when I hiked into Cascade Locks, I had done like a 30, I think it was my biggest day on trail, like a 37 or 38 mile day in the Cascade Locks. And I literally couldn't put pressure on it the next morning when I woke up, I was, you know, I should have been in the hospital. And um, I'm like, that's it. That was the first time I actually thought in my mind my hike might be over because i can't even put pressure on it walking around town let alone with like 30 pounds of gear on my back so 
I had taken like three days off in Cascade Locks icing it. And, you know, I wasn't 100% for that last stretch in Washington, but it was enough to get me through there. I just had to do lower mileage days for a while. So, yeah, it's just one of those old injuries that will continue to haunt me probably the rest of my life. Oh, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ankle sprains, they, uh, they, they heal, but not, not 100%. Yeah, my my ankles are particularly uh, flexible, shall we say? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you just gotta listen to your body. You know, you know what you're capable of. You know what your body's capable of, mm-hmm. and you, you low mileage days if you have to, and take days off if you have to. How easy or difficult was it for you to listen to your body versus just powering through? Well, I'm a, the most stubborn person I know in this world, and it gets me in trouble sometimes. But this year in particular, I was smarter about it, and I kind of said, "Okay, I, calm down, tough guy. You know, if you if you keep this up, you're you're not going to finish the trail." So I was a lot smarter about it as far as taking days off this year. One of the reasons why I finished so late is, you know, I was taking like triple zeros in some towns because of my ankle, and I just wanted to be smart about it because. You know, one bad step, one, you know, slip on a pebble or a rock and you hear that snap and you're done. Mm. So um, this year in particular, I was I was a lot smarter about listening to my body and um, and taking proper time off to, to get up the trail. And especially the PCT is just a longer trail to begin with. So you're, you know, you're you're you're, you're putting it through hell basically mm-hmm. for six months. And if you don't listen to your body, you know, the, the main one of the main reasons people quit the trail or get off the trail is because of injury. And that's a lot of it is overuse injury because they think in their mind, well, shit, I have to get to Canada. I have to get to Canada. I have to get to Canada. So they're pushing 30, 40 mile days consecutively. And now their body's like, you know, no, that's not going to happen. So they end up getting overuse injuries and they got to go home early. What do you think your average miles were? Oh, I don't know. On the piece, on AT, it was only like 15 miles a day. If I averaged it out over the whole trail, um, I'd say it was a little bit more than that, probably closer to 20, maybe on the PCT, you know, but I rarely broke 30. I think I only did 30 mile days, maybe three or four times. The majority of it was, you know, mid twenties. I felt comfortable 25 to 28 miles a day was uh, a, a good sweet spot there. Obviously it, d- it depended on terrain and weather and, and town yeah. stops and things like that. But I would say it was probably around that 20 mile range, somewhere around there. You were also having, or, you also had some issues with heat exhaustion too on the PCT. Yeah. Two separate occasions, which I had never experienced before. So the first time was really scary. I can't remember what town it was. I think it was hiker town I was in and it wasn't like it was blazing hot that day. It was the desert, obviously, and you're exposed and that stuff, but I drank water and I think I did 10 miles in the town. And I didn't, I felt great. You know, I, I probably didn't eat enough food that morning because I was stoked about getting into town and getting pizza and all that good stuff. <laughs> but I remember there was a general store right there in town and I literally walked into the general store and there was a line of hikers in there and it was very humid in the building. So I was sitting there waiting in line and I literally like ran, had to run out. I felt lightheaded, uh, hands and face started tingling and I ran outside and collapsed on the pavement. And, um, Somebody had run to me and, you know, threw some ice on my neck and put some candy in my mouth and I came right back too. But that was my first experience with heat exhaustion. It was scary. I mean, I didn't know what was happening. I just started to get lightheaded and I literally passed out for a couple minutes. The second time I 
didn't pass out, but the signs, I, I saw the signs coming right away. So I just immediately sat down and ate some food and drank some water until my body felt normal again. But yeah, it was scary stuff. Um, I have a, I have a very bad habit of not drinking enough water while I'm hiking. I still have that habit. I got better as the trail went on, but I, I know for sure in the desert, I was not drinking enough water for sure. Was that just because you weren't thinking about it or were you trying to save water because of, you know, the water, the water caches and stuff like that? I think it was, it was just saving water. I have a paranoia about running out of water and I always have. And because that was my first experience hiking through the desert, I had a mindset where I didn't want to dry camp and chances are in the desert, you're going to be dry camping from time to time. So I would, I would stash my water all day and I sometimes I would haul, mm. you know, four or five liters on me and not even drink half of it so that I would have it for camp. And, um, and like I said, that was a very bad habit, but that's what I did. I, I was paranoid about dry camping and not having water. So I would always haul more than I needed, but never drink it consistently throughout <laughs> the day, which is stupid because why are you carrying that weight if you're not going <laughs> to use it anyway? But yeah. yeah, it's one of those bad habits I need to break, especially for the future. Now, why were you paranoid about dry camping? It was just running out of water. Being in an unknown situation without water, it's just, I don't know, mentally being dehydrated. I always hated that feeling whenever it did happen to me. So I just, I, I on the AP, on the AT, you actually don't have that issue because water is everywhere. But I would always camp next to a water source just to have water in the morning and, you know, be able to have it at night for dinner or whatever. So I was always used to camping near water going into the desert. I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I would just stash water on me. So I always had it with me. And, and you have a serious coffee addiction too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I would carry a liter of water just so I knew I was going to have coffee in the morning for sure. <laughs> that comes from being a, uh, a breakfast line cook for like 10 years. I was, you know, just coffee all day. So I still have a serious coffee addiction. <laughs> I'm the guy who drinks espresso right before bedtime to relax <laughs> myself. So to relax yourself. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Now I was also, and maybe I was extrapolating this and, uh, incorrectly, but I thought I saw a, a shot or a, a little clip of you gathering water from the condensation on your tent. It, yeah, it wasn't was the condensation. It, it had actually rained in okay. the desert that day. So um, I had hiked out of town, and I was planning on getting to a water source that day. I saw in God Hux. I can't remember what the, the mileage was, but I was just not feeling it. I probably ate too much food in town, and I just didn't feel like hiking. So I think I made it like maybe four or five miles out of town. I'm like, I don't want to hike anymore. So, you know, I was, I was low on water to begin with, but then luckily it started raining. So I just put my titanium cup under the lip of my vestibule and, and collected about a liter of water that night just in the <laughs> rainfall. I saw that and I was like, that is brilliant. Yeah, it worked. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I needed my coffee in the morning. So, and I was just sitting in my tent and raining. So I was like, I'm oh, bored. I'll just, I might as well collect water and make myself somewhat useful here. Go all mountain man. <laughs> right. I haven't, I haven't gone to the point of licking like condensation off my tent yet, but Maybe in a survival situation, I'll have to do that. Yeah, I would be really interested, knowing now that it was a rainstorm as opposed to condensation. But I would be really interested to see how that how that technique would work with the condensation on your tent, you know, or on a tent. I'm sure you could. Yeah, I'm sure you could funnel it somehow. I mean, I had I had 
put, I can't remember what I used, sticks or, or rocks or something. I had propped up my tent, so I had a little funnel there. So it was going directly into my cup, and I could just gather as much as possible because I didn't know how long it was going to rain for. Um, but, yeah, I, I made a little half-assed MacGyver thing, so I had a little funnel going into my cup. <laughs> I love it. I, I hadn't thought of that, but after seeing it, or when the clip went by, I was like, "Did was that really just? I was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you spend enough time out there on the trail, you'll learn little tricks and stuff. Everybody's got their own little tricks they use to get by and little cheats here and there. Yeah, and also to uh, amuse yourself. Oh, yeah, you get bored out there. I mean, you see, you only see 10 minutes a day on video of me, you know, like a 10 to 12-hour hike. So there's plenty of days where I'm just like, you know, listening to the stupidest music of, of all time, just trying to entertain myself. I had this bad habit early on in the desert where – I would, I would count my steps, right? So <laughs> think of a, a really, it's like worse than 99 bottles of beer on the wall. So I, I had a habit of counting my steps and I couldn't stop. And it was just like driving me insane. So, you know, various times throughout the day, I just like, stop counting your steps. It's annoying as hell. And I couldn't stop doing it. So um, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not a straight boredom right there. A lot of hikers would like close their eyes and see how long you could hike, uh, you know, blind until you ran into like a sage bush or something like that. So just little stupid things you would do to entertain yourself out there. How, how many steps did you get up to before you caught yourself? Counting top. Yeah. Counting. Well, I never did the, I, I never did the blind thing walking to a sage bush cause you know, snakes, I, I got to keep a yeah. lookout for those. But, but uh, the counting, I got up to like 300 and something one time and it was just driving me insane. I just, it was like, I, I almost like borderline going into the mental institution when I got to town because it was a habit I could not break. So um, later on in the trail, I would just have to put on music. So I wouldn't start counting my steps again. <laughs> it was annoying as hell. <laughs> what did you do or how did you deal with the, I guess the frustration or, you know, the mental challenges of it? Because obviously this was a, this was a year of, of very high snow. Um, and then you obviously hit the snowstorms up in Northern Washington as well. How did you, how did you work through that? How did you deal with that? Well, the Sierra, it was, it was different than in, in the North Cascades. The Sierras, it was just, um, there was no frustration. It was just, it was a learning process for me because Yes, I had backpacked before, but nothing in those kind of extremes before. I'd never really backpacked on snow. I'd never used an ice axe in my life or used micro spikes in my life. It was everything was new. So I was, you know, I was hiking with a partner through the Sierra and he was from Israel. So he had obviously never done any of this stuff either. <laughs> but, um, so we were kind of learning as we went together and, you know, just working off of each other. So we get to extreme crossings or, you know, we would sometimes hike upstream a half a mile to a mile looking for the best place to cross. It was just a learning process this year. It was, it was actually fun. It was, it was stressful. And, um, you know, being so new to that kind of stuff, going over mountain passes at that elevation was obviously scary, but it, it was fun learning the whole process and learning a new skill of hiking that I'd never done before. Whereas the Northern, Northern Cascades, it was, it was frustrating at times. You know, I mentioned earlier, it took us, you know, two hours to go a half a mile at mm -hmm. one point. That was extremely yeah. frustrating, knowing what your body is capable of, of hiking mileage wise, but you just can't do it. I mean, when you're, you're going through a blizzard and it's a whiteout and you don't even know where the trail is at, 
that that can be very frustrating. But it, like I said, at that time, I was thinking with three others at the time. So we fed off each other and, and just like, you know, brought everybody together and made decisions together. So the only frustrating part about it was not being able to put in the mileage we wanted to, knowing that. So you look at gut hooks and you're like, OK, I'm 60 miles from the border. I should be there in two and a half days normally, whereas it took us seven days to do those 60 miles. So that was extremely frustrating knowing how close we were to the end, but not be able to finish it that quick. And knowing that the storms were coming in on you and, and going to smack you in the ass. Yeah. We, I mean, we knew it was going to be raining. We all, the forecast we had got in town, obviously the town forecast is different. It was going to be raining, mm-hmm. which up at elevation, we knew we were going to hit snow. We didn't know how much it turned out to be like a three day blizzard basically. And nav- navigating the trail was very difficult at times. And obviously the passes, um, we're sketched as hell too. So yeah, we, we, uh, we, we had pretty bad timing there. <laughs> Having now done the AT and the PCT, is the CDT in your future? Of course, it always has been. Um, <laughs> well, from the time when I decided to do the AT two years ago, three years ago, now whatever it was when I decided to do it. It wasn't just the AT. I wanted to do the Triple Crown from the beginning. So that was always the main goal. Um, Now, doing it back to back to back, I I never made that goal. You know, it wouldn't be cool. And, you know, I want to count the CDT for next year because I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. And I I don't plan stuff too far in advance. Um, But the way the PCT beat me up mentally and physically this year, um, you know, I think it'd be best to take a year off. And, you know, there's two main, two main reasons. Well, that being one, but, you know, I want to get back to the trail, especially the Appalachian Trail. I'm now living up here in Maine. I'm very close to the, the AT. And I want to be that guy sitting at a road crossing, passing out hot dogs and soda and beer for all the through hikers, especially now after two through hikes, you almost feel obligated. At least I feel obligated to give back to the trail in some way because I've gotten so much help over the last two years. You know, I want to I want to get back in whatever way I can. So I'm leaning towards, you know, doing some nice long sections on the AT next year, as well as doing a lot of uh, trail magic or as I call it free shit for uh, a lot of the hikers <laughs> coming through. And also I have my dog, my dog to think about, too. I, I've left yeah. my dog at home for six months the last two years, and it's not fair to him. And I want my hiking buddy back again. So I want to get Roscoe P. Waggletails back on the trail with me because, uh, yeah, he's my best hiking buddy. I love the name. <laughs> yeah, he was actually Roscoe P. Coltrane as a pup, but when I got him home, his tail never stopped wagging. He would actually wake me up every morning, beating me in the head with it. So it was quickly changed to Roscoe P. Waggletails after that, and it stuck. How many people were familiar with where Roscoe P. Coltrane came from? <laughs> yeah, everybody knows Roscoe. He actually became pretty famous because I, um, I actually had him on the AT with me last year for two days. Oh, and he actually did a 20 mile day. Uh, he hiked with me from, uh, hot springs from Max Patch, uh, into hot springs, North Carolina, which is 20, about 20 miles. So for a bass hunt, that's pretty damn good. Um, yeah. So he be- say. <laughs> well, he's been hiking with me since he was about eight weeks old. So don't let the little legs fool you. He's a billy goat. He, he loves to hike up mountains. Um, so he got pretty popular from seeing people seeing him on my videos from last year. They're like, where's Roscoe at? Where's Roscoe at? We can't see it. See Roscoe. I'm like, Oh, wow. Roscoe's been becoming quite popular just from a short appearance. I was going to say, uh, you were, you're famous because of your affiliation with Roscoe. 
Yeah, I think Roscoe's more famous than I am, actually. <laughs> Speaking of, of trail magic and and free shit, as you like to call it, you have some really supportive followers, subscribers, you know, that have definitely assisted your through hikes, you know, or, or I guess if you want to look at it this way, paid back your diligence in, in documenting your, your travels. Yeah, that's the understatement of the year. It, it still blows my mind, the people that helped me out. And um, it, I, I don't know, I feel guilty a lot of the time because I don't know how to give back to these people. Like, I'm so grateful and I don't think they understand fully how much that helps me out on trail. It's just, it's just mind blowing. I, I mean, I can give you story upon story upon story about things that have happened to me on trail that is just, it's amazing. And all I'm doing in my head is walking every day, but <laughs> somehow these people are reaching out and wanting to help. It's just, it's unbelievable. It definitely, especially this year has, I mean, it was monumental in getting me to the border because, you know, the PCT is a lot more expensive than the Appalachian trail yeah. and especially in California. And there's no hostel. I mean, there's hostels, but it's not like the AT where you're spending $20 for a bunk every night. You know, you're paying $150 a night to stay in a hotel because that's your only option other than staying on trail itself. So yeah, money got pretty tight there for a while. So people reached out and helped me out with resupplies and everything else and rides and hotel rooms. It's just insane. I could go on and on about it, but I'm extremely grateful for each and every one of them because it, it helped me get up the trail and made my life a lot easier for sure. Well, what I loved about the the boxes that they were sending is that they were really paying attention to what like food wise you were eating and what your favorites were and, or preferences were and, and so forth. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. I almost got, yeah. I almost got sick of my favorites after a while. People <laughs> would go, people would literally go back to all my town stops and rewatch those videos of what I said was awesome and what I loved. And so the boxes became very similar after that. Like all my favorite stuff was coming in every box. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, damn, I'm, I'm all kind of getting burned out in this stuff now. But yeah, it's it's crazy, and you know, um, you know, the big thing was the Nutella. I never got sick of Nutella, so there was always jars of Nutella, which is which is huge. I by the end of both trails, I could literally just eat Snickers bars, Nutella, and be a happy camper. I mean, that's that's all I craved really. The the breakfast of champions. It is. It, it, yeah, <laughs> I had to start going with a bigger tub though, because the smaller tubs would only last me like two and a half days. I would just burn through it like crazy. It was always on the outside of my pack. Every time I stopped for a break, I was spooning Nutella out of a jar. And then in my tent at night, I was I would have my midnight craving, wake up, Nutella break before I go back to bed. It, so <laughs> I was burning those pretty quick, and I had to go with the big tub um, after that. How was hiker hunger for you? Oh, it's insane. It's stupid. It's just, you, there's never enough calories. You know, you're just constantly hungry. And I, I tried to make up for it more so in town um because you can only carry so much in your pack it just food weighs the most so mm-hmm. you know you pack up to the gills as much as you can but there's still not enough calories so i my main thing in town was I, I it was a habit for a very long time as soon as i got to town i would eat you know at least one large pizza sometimes two and then i would eat a pint of ben and jerry's and drink a two liter of diet coke i know there's no calories in that but i prefer diet that's why the whole diet thing people are like why do you drink diet coke there's no calories i just prefer the taste of it okay but i would drink a two liter and then later that evening i would go out to dinner and then eat another pint of ben and jerry's that was usually my routine 
every town stop. So I definitely made up the calories in town. Um, but yeah, it's just, you're, you're constantly hungry. You, you eat a pop tart or two or a few packets of oatmeal in the morning. You're hungry a half hour later. It's just your body just burning that stuff constantly. Now, when it first hit you on the AT, I'm assuming you knew what it was, but did it Mm -hmm. surprise you? No, it didn't surprise me. You know, I did my research and talked to a couple of through hikers from previous years. And you you don't believe them when they tell you how much they ate. Like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to, that's not going to happen until you actually get there. So once it does happen to you, you're like, actually, this is pretty cool. Like, you go into an all you can eat buffet (laughs) and you're just like, hey, watch this. Like, you're looking at people that are just out there eating with their families, like, just, just look over here and watch this real quick. This is going to be awesome. And then you just destroy like, you know, seven plates of food. It's, it's pretty cool. But the, the shitty thing about it is when you get home and I'm already experiencing this a week after I got home is it's hard to turn that switch off. So, uh, case in point, I ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's probably a good 45 minutes before you called me tonight. Um, <laughs> so you, you continue to eat like a, hike, a hiker, um, which is not always good if, if you're not hiking on mountains every day. So, I've tried to get a few salads in me since I've gotten home and uh, actually start cooking some meals. But yeah, hiker hunger is pretty cool <laughs> when you can sit down and polish off two large pizzas without much effort. It's it's pretty amazing. How did you, or how are you, trying to uh, adjust your your relationship with food? So. Baby steps, okay? So I had a serious Diet Coke addiction on trail. I would usually drink two two liters every town stop, which is obviously gross and not healthy for you whatsoever, but on trail, you don't <laughs> care. So I went to the grocery store actually last night, and I bought me a six-pack of those tiny little, like, you know, the half cans of Diet Coke. And like I said, all drink. right, I'm going to start here. Yeah, like a couple sips. So I'm starting with that, and I hopefully wean myself off of it and um you know i'm just going to get back into the gym and working out and things like that and and just try to feed my body full of healthy stuff so it responds a little bit better than i did last year because mm-hmm. last year i just continued to eat like a kindergartner when i got home it was just ramen and mac and cheese and i would literally sit in my bare room i nothing except my hiking gear and i would cook my ramen noodles on my floor in my house on my stove, like a, like a <laughs> miserable hiker. Cause I, it was just habit, you know, but now I'm actually trying to cook and, and treat my body the way it should be treated. You know, how much, how much weight did you lose out there on each of the trails? On the AT, I only lost five pounds. Um, okay. it wasn't that much. Now I don't, I don't lose that much weight. I, I, I don't have that much weight to lose to begin with. But I ate my ass off. My metabolism was pretty high. So I don't know. I, I ended up only losing five pounds on the AT, which is pretty good. Most guys, you know, they say average like 20 to 30 pounds sometimes. Yeah. So five pounds I thought was pretty damn good. Now, on this trail, I never did weigh myself. I think I weighed myself before the trail, but I haven't weighed myself since I got back yet. So actually, I'm kind of curious uh, if anything changed this year. But, um, you know, I, I always my body always felt healthy i didn't feel like i was starving myself or needed more food uh, you know i, I was malnourished or anything like that i always had the energy to hike so that was how i gauged you know my food intake as long as i got the energy to hike then i'm i'm good how was the the mcdonald's resupply challenge for you oh gross yeah it was just <laughs> gross you would think it would be it wasn't as bad as the arby's challenge i don't know if you're familiar with that from last year 
the Arby's challenge I did last year was uh, from Marion, Virginia to Bland, Virginia, 60 miles and nothing but Arby's roast beef sandwiches. And I think I did 22 of them. I actually did two oh, at the Jesus. restaurant and then hauled out, hauled out 22. And this is like in Virginia. It's like 90, 90 degrees outside. It was real stupid. But this year I did the McDonald's resupply challenge, which is very popular amongst PCG hikers because you get into Cajon Pass and there's a McDonald's right off the trail. And, um, I, I actually, <laughs> I did like 30, 33 into that McDonald's that night and I went in there for dinner and then just sat there and charged my stuff until they closed and kicked me out. I literally pitched my tent right behind the McDonald's that night and walked in when they opened the next morning. I zeroed at that McDonald's that day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then I purchased, then I purchased my resupply and went up for the next day, which consisted of um, eight McDoubles with nothing on them. It was just bread and, and meat. Uh, 40 chicken McNuggets and two apple pies, I think. And then I had like sauces and things. And that was 28 miles to Whitewood, California. And, you know, the first day they taste delicious. By the second day, they're like, eh, not so much. And then I went up in elevation and the chicken nuggets froze and they were like, you know, rocks. And it was just gross for the last day. So if you were to do it over again, you would have gotten rid of the, the McNuggets first. Yeah, I would have, yeah, I probably would have destroyed the nuggets and I would have separated the buns from the meat and the burgers. Cause when you just throw them in your food bag and crush them in your pack, they just become congealed and like uh, just a mush of, of, of shit basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the smart thing to do if you're going to be doing this is take a gallon Ziploc, put the buns in there and keep those on the outside of your pack. So they stay somewhat, you know, formed as a bun and then you can put the meat in your, in your bag, but. Yeah, the Nuggets, they, they became rock hard by the third day, and it was just it was just brutal. I just basically just closed my eyes and get down as many as I could at one time. You hiked with the stove for the coffee, if nothing else. Yeah, I'll never go stoveless because of hot coffee. What is your what is your coffee of choice out there? So, yeah, I, I, I look like a hipster to begin with, which is unfortunate with the beard and the tattoos. But if, this, if that wasn't bad enough, I have to drink Starbucks. I'm, Starbucks, I'm kind of a diva when it comes to instant coffee. Folgers is, is tolerable, but it's still shit. Now, Taster's Choice is basically like cat litter. You know, that name always cracked, that name always cracked me up because who the hell is this Taster and why is he choosing this shit coffee? But, um, luckily my followers knew that. And mm-hmm. so I would get Starbucks in every resupply box. Uh, which is obviously I can't afford that because it's the most expensive. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Starbucks Vias are pretty good, and uh, but just regular Starbucks uh, medium roast are my favorite instant coffee. Right, and the key was that they were instant, so you were literally just warming your water and then psh, dropping it in. That that's it. It was just easy. You know, I've always wondered about the idea of carrying like they make backpacking French presses and things like that. You know, I'd, I'd like to try that on a couple weekend trips and just see if they're worth taking out on a through hike. I don't think they would be because you're hauling up the grounds at that point um, and just adds the weight. But yeah, instant's just so easy. And, and like I said, the Starbucks was, was pretty good. You Sometimes I would lace it with like hot chocolate packets or, you know, sometimes I'd steal creamers from restaurants or and things like that. But yeah, Starbucks are pretty good black on their own. And, you know, the coffee thing, I have to have hot coffee in the morning or else you're not going to want to be around me. I'm not going to want to be around myself. Um, I could probably do the stoveless thing otherwise, you know, cooking dinner at night was kind of a chore. I didn't really like doing it. So I could go, I, I just, I could, I could eat this cold food, but, um, the coffee thing will always prevent me from going stoveless. And, and if you didn't have the coffee thing, 
you wouldn't have an intro to each of your videos. Yeah, <laughs> right? Oh my God. That, that's a whole nother thing. Like, oh my God. So I remember this last year, uh, people have gotten so used to that intro. And I actually tried to change my intro just to mix it up this year. And people like legit got upset about it. And they're like, that's not your song. That's not your intro song. That's not the intro I remember. And people got mad about it. So I had to go back to the same song and, and the same intro. <laughs> and I had an instance last year, I remember. And I don't know if this, this woman was joking or not. I don't think she was actually, but I got a comment saying, so I, I guess I got this habit of tapping my mug four times, right? I didn't know I was doing it, but this woman had picked up on that. And one morning I tapped it three times or five times. I can't remember which. And she noticed it and like made a comment about it. Like, you just tapped your mug three times. What's up with that? Are you feeling okay? I'm like, holy <laughs> <Wow>. shit. <laughs> yeah, that's like next level stuff right there. It's so amazing what you don't, you know, it's, it's all the like catchphrases and things that people repeat back to me. Like, I don't, starting out, I don't, you know, think about saying this stuff. It just comes out on a regular basis and people pick up on that stuff. Did that make you stop and think? I mean, to realize that people were paying attention that closely to what you were putting out there. Yeah, after a while it did. I mean, I still, as far as the filming, the, the na nature side of it and the trail and everything like that, that's just all creativity, what comes to me in the moment. And I'm like, okay, I need to film it. Right here is not the good angle. I need to step over two feet. That's that's where the angle is. That's where I need to shoot the shot at. So that was all creativity for me on trail. But certain things like that that I knew people were expecting, like the coffee intro, that's why I've done it every single morning. I do that mainly for them. Like I, It would be nice to be able to wake up and not have to do that shit. Like <laughs> just, just, just think, you, if you're, are you a coffee drinker? Just, I am just not. Asking. So, okay, just imagine you're, uh, you're feening, you are a coffee drinker and you're feening for your coffee in the morning, like mm -hmm. I was every morning. So all you want to do is make your damn coffee and drink it. I couldn't do that. I had to set up like seven different camera angles and, and film this whole sequence every single morning before I could even take a sip of coffee. Uh, uh, but I did that for the people that uh, were expecting to see that. So it's become my thing. I can't get away from it now. I will be filming my coffee for the rest of my life, I guess. Um, yeah. It's actually been kind of awkward this last week, waking up in the morning and not filming myself doing that. It's been actually quite lovely, <laughs> but I had to get used to it. I, it's so funny because I hadn't thought about the production related to that intro, um, which I almost would slap myself because I am in production and I know how much goes into just a shot, let alone, you know, like this whole sequence and all of that. Yeah, I got pretty good at it after a while. It became routine. So I knew exactly how to do it to make it do it the quickest way possible. Yeah. When, when you're just watching it for the first time as an outsider, you don't think about that kind of stuff, which is a good thing as a creator because yeah. you're putting all this work into it, but it goes off seamlessly. Like that's why you were like, you were watching it as a normal show on TV, mm -hmm. but you know, behind the scenes there I am, you know, setting up multiple camera angles and, um, and close up shots and wide angle shots and all this stuff. I was thinking about this constantly on the trail. How can I get the coolest angles? So when, as a viewer, when you watch it, it should be like you're just watching a, a show on National Geographic or Discovery Channel or something like that. That was my whole inspiration for doing this kind of editing. Well, you were very successful. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> I had some camera woes, but yeah, I appreciate that the effort doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, no, it, 
your your cinematography is and editing is great and it would be you know a discovery channel documentary type of thing absolutely i don't know if i'm quite at that level but thank you very much um i wish i could have the more time to to sit down and and edit video every night but Mm -hmm. it was just when you're hiking you just don't have the energy to do it so you know, max style probably would take me an hour every night, maybe 45 minutes to edit a video. But yeah, I, there was many times where I'm like, damn, I could have made that so much better, but I just didn't have the time or the energy to do it every single night. Were you, as you were hiking, were you planning the edit in your head as you were taking the shots or did you literally have to do the the download at the end of the day and then sort through things and and edit at that point and kind of figure out how things were going together? It was a little bit of a boat, both. Okay. So it, it was, it, it varied depending on. So let's say I'm in the Sierra and I know I'm, I'm going over Forester Pass in the morning. So obviously Forester Pass is a big deal. That's going to mm-hmm. be the main bulk of that video. So there were certain days like that where I would film around particular landmarks I was coming up on. But for the majority of it, I would just film whatever was cool. If I, you know, I would get as much footage throughout the day so that when I got in my tent at night, I had all that footage to play with. There was, there was tons of footage that I never used throughout it for each day, but I wanted to have it at my disposable to make the best video possible. So, uh, you know, it was a constant thing all day long, filming the, whatever I could from different angles, um, just so I had that footage to play around with every single night. But obviously, like, like I said, place like Forester Pass or, or, you know, going around Mount Shasta, major landmarks, I would base videos off things I knew I was going to be doing that day that were really cool. And you were editing on an iPad and what was the software again or the app? Yeah, I carried a full-size iPad. Um, the editing software I used was called LumaFusion or LumaTouch. It's only for mobile. You can't get on desktop or you know anything like that. It's made for mobile version only. I, I had it on an iPhone. I believe you can get it on Android as well. And it's, a, it's actually a really good editing software. You can do a lot of the stuff that you would be able to do on a, on a normal, you know, like a, a Premiere Pro or, or Final Cut or something like that on your desktop. But mobile, it's amazing what they you're able to do. And they're constantly updating it based on what creators uh, want to be able to edit. So it was perfect for me. I have the same software on my phone, which I actually had to use towards the end because my iPad broke. But yeah, the most of the videos were, were edited on my iPad with, with that software. I'm impressed and also excited to try it now. Yeah, give it a go. It's, it's very uh, seamless. Uh, if you've done anything, like even like you're familiar with iMovie, it's just basically mm-hmm. you can do civil edit. It's just cut cut and paste, that kind of stuff. But if you want to gr- get creative and do some cool transitions or titles or anything like that, that, that software has a lot of stuff you can play around with. And I still haven't mastered it yet. I'm still learning it. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice place to start and uh, you just get better as you go. And saying that you're still mastering it after a hundred and two hundred and some odd days, isn't it? Three hundred days. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I think I had one hundred and sixty-five videos on the AT, and my PCT like turned out to be one hundred and sixty-six videos, I think. But yeah, it's, it's it's always a learning process. I'm always learning. Just just a wee bit of practice. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll you'll get good at it. Otherwise, you'll. There was plenty of times I wanted to throw my iPad off a damn mountain, but you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you you just keep doing it and you'll get better. Oh, you'll just quit vlogging one of the two. Exactly. But I know. Pl- 
I knew plenty of people that like, okay, I'm a, yeah, I'm gonna vlog my my hike this year, and then like two two or three days in, they're like, fuck this shit, this is too much work. Yeah, well, I mean, as you pointed out, it's it adds time on the end of your day, you know, and you were saying an hour to edit that doesn't even include getting the footage onto your iPad and you know all of that stuff as well. Yeah, it was a long process, especially with my my Sony camera it doesn't play well with uh, Apple products, so. I had a separate dongle just to transfer the footage from my camera every night into my iPad. So, so sometimes each 10 minute video would, would generally have anywhere from like 70 to 120 individual clips. So just to transfer that footage onto my iPad sometimes would take a half hour before I could even edit it. And then it was another hour of editing. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a process at night for sure. I would try to get that stuff done when I was making dinner and things like that. So I wasn't sitting in there you know, waiting for footage to be transferred, but it's all routine. You, like anything else on a long hike, you get used to it. How were, and, or I guess what were, aside from editing your, your vlogs, your routines and kind of rituals on the trails and did they change between the AT and the PCT? Let's see rituals. I would see the coffee thing in the morning. I would do it yeah. the same way every morning and packing my bag generally was the same way. Like if I didn't pack my bag exactly the same way, I would notice it like when I got on trail, even if it wasn't like affecting how, how it rode on my back, just something wasn't right mentally. Like it's a superstition type thing. You like people put the same shoe on every day, the first, mm -hmm. you know, right shoe on every day first. It was that kind of a thing. So I got in a routine of packing my bag exactly the same way, breaking down camp the same way, setting up camp the same way. You know, that, those are basically the only things I, I would say are routine, I guess, that I got on trail. And it was very similar on the AT as well. What was your your tent, your sleeping bag, inflate? You were having some inflatable mattress issues as well, I believe, out there. But yeah, I want to take a shank to that thing and, and splash <laughs> it multiple times. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, it seemed like because you were having some issues with like punctures and stuff that that something was beating you to it. I don't know what happened with my sleeping pad this year. I didn't have a single problem last year on the AT. And I use the same pad. You know, that Thermarest Neo Air is what I use. And I love that pad. I, I get a great night's sleep on it. But for whatever damn reason this year, uh, that thing never stayed inflated. Luckily, I, I, I mean, by the end of the trail, you should see it. It's got like, it, it looks like a, 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 a patch quilt or something like that. There's patches everywhere over it. I don't know where these punctures were coming from. It's not like I was just like, laying in some random ass field, you know, <laughs> taking a, a nap in the middle of the day. It was in my tent every night, but yeah, it, it just would deflate all the fucking time. But you know, by the end of the trail, I actually got it to stay inflated for like the last stretch, which is probably the most important because I was sleeping on snow basically every night. So I needed that thing to, to keep me warm. Yeah. I don't know. Gear just breaks down. It's, it's going to happen. You know, very rarely does gear hold up the whole, the whole through hike. Was your sleeping bag adequate for the Sierras and for Northern Washington? It was, but it was pushing the limits. And I carried a, my bag is on an Enlightened Equipment Revelation 20 degree. And I got, I, it's the same exact bag that I carried on the AT last year. There's a couple patches on it. I've lost some down out of it, but I didn't want to drop the money on a brand new quilt this year. So I said, oh, it can, it's got one more in her. So I carried it the whole way again this year. But I also, to supplement that, I do carry a, a, a liner inside my bag, which is one of those like Sea to Summit 15 degree liners that 
got me through the Northern Cascades, especially when it dropped down to like, you know, 15 degrees or whatever it was. But yeah, it worked, but the walk was definitely not there. Um, I actually had dried off. I drew it, dried it one time and actually Cascade Locks was the first time I dried it and got the loft back up on it, but it, it was never the same. So I probably should have swapped out for a new bag at some point, but it, you know, it did the trick. I never was like shivering at night. I would just put my layers on and, and maybe wear my puffy at night and, that was good enough. How much cowboy camping did you end up doing versus like setting up your tent? Very rarely. I, I probably you could count on one hand the amount of times I cowboy camped on the PCT. It's it's I think it's a combination of well in the desert I didn't do it because I'm scared shitless of you know <laughs> scorpions scorpions crawling over my face when I sleep. That was the main reason I didn't do it in the desert. But you know I cowboy camped and I remember the coolest time I cowboy camped was actually at the base of Forrester Pass the night before I went over there, I, I cowboy camped at like 11,000 feet or whatever it was. Um, that was unbelievable. Every star in the sky was out that night. It was, it was beautiful. But there's just something that I love about being in a tent. I feel like it's my home. I feel comfortable in there. I like having all my stuff right next to me. And that's just, that's just a personal preference thing. I, you know, I have nothing against cowboy camping. It, it's fun to do sometimes, but I just love being inside my tent. So I, I do that 95% of the time. Is it a sense of security or like your own space type of thing? Yeah, that's part of it. And also I'm just like, I just throw my shit haphazardly everywhere. <laughs> so if, if, at least if it's in my tent, I know I can find it. There was a time uh, when, when me and uh, my hiking partner through Oregon Feathers, we cowboy camped over by Crater Lake, and <laughs> I'd done it in a while, and I, I don't know if it came out, I think it came off on her video, she was a vlogging too, that morning I was so discombobulated, because I couldn't find shit, like everything was scattered <laughs> everywhere, I'm trying to make my coffee, I can't find my damn spoon, it's like, I was, <laughs> and she's just laughing her ass off, I'm like, this, I told her, I'm like, this is why I stay in my tanks, I know where all my shit is. <laughs> You've contained it, you've wrangled it in. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm just not a very organized person, I guess. Oh, that's funny. I, I've not ever heard anybody say or have those issues with cowboy camping before. Yeah, maybe it's just, I mean, I just lose my shit constantly. So I got to keep it right next to my head at night when I sleep or else I'm not finding it in the morning. <laughs> what was your pack out there? Uh, what, which pack did I use? Was the uh, yeah. the uh, Hyperlite uh, Windrider 3400. It's their 55 liter pack, and um, the the Windrider compared to the Southwest is just the the mesh backing. So where you can put you know stuff on the outside of your pack is mesh, whereas the Southwest is the same exact pack, but it's got like a cloth material for that. I like being able to see what's in there, so the mesh is what I went with. Um, it's the same pack I used on the AT last year, except uh, I used the black version this year, whereas the AT used the white version. The only difference is, you know, the the grade of Dyneema. The black one's a little more durable. So, you know, I, I, I threw my pack around so much last year on the AT, I figured I better get a more durable one this year just to make sure it holds up, especially on some of those spiny branches and stuff you throw it up against some cactus in the desert. Yeah, the the desert will nail it. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, you still get two rips and tears here and there in the mesh, but just, you know, that pack, I, I loved it from the moment I put it on. It just fits like a glove for me. So that's why I've stuck with it. You, the the picture of you at Katahdin, at that sign, mm-hmm. is 
amazing. I, uh, thank you. I still get choked up every time I look at it. Yeah. Because it brings me back to exactly that moment. It's, it was a very powerful moment for me. I had spent, you know, damn near three years really thinking about that sign. And the entire time I was hiking in the AT, that sign on top of Mount Katahdin was burned into my mind. And I thought about it every single day and what it would be like to wrap my arms around that sign. So when I did it, it, it was just, you can't describe it. It was just one of the most amazing feelings of my life. Cause it was a goal that I had been searching for and, and, and striving towards for damn near three years. And to actually get there was, was mind blowing for me. Yeah. What I love most about that picture is this is going to sound cliche, but without saying a word, you could see in that picture how much it meant. Like, yeah how much it meant yeah for sure um that's why i still get choked up every time i look yeah. at it um that that whole the the appalachian trail is so very special to me I, I it's my favorite topic in the world and that sign is so iconic and to think of how many people have touched that sign and felt the same exact emotion that i felt when i was up there it's just so powerful until you actually do it and, and, and experience that for yourself, you'll never be able, to be able to explain to somebody what that feeling is like after hiking, you know, 2,190 miles to, to, I know, you know, to, to reach that, that goal finally, it's just, it's an unbelievable feeling. And that sign has changed so many lives. You hear it all the time. People yeah. through hike the AT and now they're hooked and it's, that sign has a lot to do with it. It's very powerful. Yeah, they're addicted. They're addicted. It's, you know, the whole cliche thing through hiking ruins your life in the best way possible. I used to agree with, but I don't agree with that anymore because now it's not really the best thing because I can't do anything else with my life. I, I, all I think about is what the next trail is going to be now. It's yeah. taken over my life completely. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, who knows? But you know, I'm 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 in it for life now. Yeah, you you caught it. You caught the bug. Yep, I'm not the only one. It grabs a whole lot of yep. people. My my buddy Lint, he's he's like he's a triple triple crowner. There's a reason for it. He's just you get sucked in that whole lifestyle and it's hard to get out of it. Which isn't a, it, it's not a bad thing, but you know, just be prepared. You preach you through hikers. The whole transition coming back to the world real world is not always yeah. the easiest. It, it is interesting that you say that because I know so many people, myself included, you know, focus on the getting to the, to the monument, getting to the first terminus and, you know, getting through the hike and, and that kind of thing. And don't necessarily think or contemplate what, what or how the hike will change your life, like set you off in a completely new and different direction. And unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know which, which it is. You cannot, you cannot prepare that for that. You don't know what's going to do to you. Um, it will change you in one way or another, whether it's good or bad, you won't know until you do it, but it will change you. Um, it changed me, you know, completely. Now, with all that being said, I've known people that have taken that experience, at least from the Appalachian Trail and taken that sense of empowerment and accomplishment and like, I can do anything now and transfer that into uh, their quote-unquote normal life 
and taking that into the job, the workforce, mm-hmm. or with their families, or with their kids, and just become better people in general, um, the trail will definitely do that for you, yeah. too. You don't have to become a full-time dirtbag is all I'm saying. You can, you can take that, you can take that experience and use it for good in your normal work life. And, you know, suddenly sitting at a, a red light for, you know, 10 seconds is not going to piss you off anymore because you've done something like the Appalachian Trail and petty shit like that doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore. And the pace is just slower. I think that's the thing that I noticed the most about now modern whatever is with the technology and everything like that everything is so fast everybody expects so immediate responses you know you're constantly multitasking your attention span is zero basically yeah it's it's it's, it's strange and um the if i had to people ask me if you could sum up through hiking in one word i try to think of the best word but it always comes back to freedom it's it's being able to do what you want when you want how you want and if you want to go at a one mile an hour pace all day, you have the freedom to do that. If you want to push 40, 50 miles a day, you're, you're free to do that. It's, it's, you go as fast or as slow as you want, but it's on your time. And that's, that is your time. Don't let any other, you know, the cliche, other cliche saying hike your own hike. Don't let anybody else dictate your hike, your mileage, what towns you're going to go into. That is your hike. Just think of how many hours, how many days, how many months, sometimes years you have planned to do a hike like that. That is your fucking hike, and you deserve to have the experience you fucking want. So um, that's why you're out there, to enjoy the trail and and take in everything that has to offer. Because I milked the shit out of the Appalachian Trail, and I try to do the same on the PCT this year as much as I possibly could, because that is what yeah. you're out there for. Did you have people on either of the trails try to shame you into more miles or doing certain things that kind of stuff no never i was always a solo hiker you know this year kind of changed up i did a hiking partner through the sierra and then uh through most of oregon and then the last stretch in washington Mm -hmm. so this year was kind of different where the at i hiked solo basically the whole time there was I, I started out with somebody in the beginning up until the Smokies, but from there on out, I was by myself. So even the times I hiked with partners on the PCT, you know, there was never, okay, we're hiking this many miles today. It was like, we're going to hike at our own pace. If we meet up at camp, cool. If not, you know, we'll see you tomorrow, that kind of a thing. I never let anybody else dictate what I was going to do. Now, obviously, for safety purposes in the Sierra, as well as the Northern Cascades, we had to compromise a little bit there because, you know, we're with a group and it's a safety thing. So, but I never let people dictate how many miles I'm going to do or where I'm going to camp. That's, that's my time. That's my, my hike. I love that attitude. Well, I mean, some people are out there to be social and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, being an introvert and love hike, that's, you know, hiking is my therapy and I need that time by myself. Now there, you meet people out there that are hiking with groups of 10 or 12 people I've seen before. Mm-hmm. And you get into the tramway and everybody's jiving and it's cool and go for it if that's what you want. But if if you're on the fence about it and you're not having a good time anymore because you feel obligated to do what these other people are doing, well, that's when you need to say, okay, why did I come out here to begin with? I didn't come out here to, you know, hike with this group. I came out here because I wanted to hike this trail. So that you need to understand why you're hiking and it's, 
your own personal uh for your own personal pleasure you know it becomes selfish at, at some point but that's that's perfectly fine that's why you're out there yeah so you almost have to be selfish a little bit yeah it's so interesting how quote unquote being selfish has a bad rep but it yeah in general yeah. it does but it but not on the trail it's different i was going to say like on the trail it's probably the healthiest way to do the trail Absolutely right. Yeah, for all those reasons I, I just gave it, and, you know, you have to think of why you're hiking to begin with. I hike these trails because I want to hike these trails for my own personal enjoyment, my own personal look what I can do, look what I'm, my body is capable of, look what I can push through obstacles. You know, this is why I'm hiking. So when somebody wants to pressure me into doing something that strays away from that, then, you know, fuck that. I'm mm. Yeah, you're damn right I'm going to be selfish. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm doing this for me, not for them. Yeah. Having done two trails now, what most surprised you about yourself, your body from doing the trails? Um, well, I guess what my body is actually capable of, I think this is in general. I think people don't give their body or their mind the credit that it deserves the human body is an amazing machine and most of the public will never give it that chance to show what it's actually capable of these long trails will show you you'll become across walls and barriers all the time and you will surprise the hell out of yourself at what you can do you know perfect example Mather Pass I will never do that fucking thing again. <laughs> okay. That was terrifying. So I'm also afraid of heights. I don't think I mentioned no, that before. Heights have always been an issue for me. No, I'm terrified of heights. Now you add snow, which I'm not comfortable with, and on top of you're going up over 10,000 feet and you're going across ice chutes and everything else. This is all my fears basically wrapped into one damn path. <laughs> and I was like sweaty palms the whole time up there and there was, so when we did Mather Pass, there's a summer route, which most people do, Southbounders will do it, but you can see the switchbacks going up the pass. When we got there, you couldn't even see the summer route. It was covered in snow. On the left side of the pass, there's a bunch of boulders, and so you basically rock scramble up the boulders, and then you have to do an ice chute crossing and then get up to the pass. So it's it was sketch as hell, and I was terrified the entire time, but I kept going, and I would just take it one step at a time, and and trust the person in front of me and the person behind me and saying, okay, they did it. I'm going to step where they do it. And you just work through the process. You will do that a million times on the trail with everything, with water crossings, with just hiking through heat, through extreme weather conditions, um, through dehydration, everything. Every every obstacle you overcome is just making you a stronger individual, a stronger hiker, and a stronger person in general. And um you know, you will understand what the human body is capable of. And um, some, it's unfortunate that it takes sometimes people getting out on these long trails to experience that. But, you know, you'll, you'll go, you'll have aches and pains. Every bone and muscle in your body will be hurting every single day of your life. But you, what are you going to do? You're going to cry and go to the doctor and say, okay, it hurts too much. I'm not going to go anymore. Or are you going to push through the pain and you're going to get your ass to Canada? You know, it's, it's up to you really. But, I believe wholeheartedly that you are much more capable of what you give yourself credit for. Yeah. So often, as you said, we, we never test ourselves. 
Never. And, you know, rightfully so in, in the quote unquote everyday life. How often are you tested that way? You know, sometimes it takes getting onto extreme situations like a long trail to experience that, but you will surprise yourself and um, it, it's only going to make you stronger in the future. Um, going forth, any other trail I do from now on, I know are going to be difficult. The CDT is not going to be easy when I do it, but now I've got all these tools with me mentally and physically that I know I've already gone through that are only going to help me on that trail as well. So yeah. what is all, what is so f- interesting to me about the trails and about doing the trails is even though, you know, you do the AT and you learn a lot about yourself and you challenge yourself and you push yourself doing the AT when you come over to whatever your next trail is or long trail. So CDT or PCT, those mm-hmm. that trail will challenge you in new and different ways and force you to grow and and get outside of your comfort zone and your box um, as well. And so the box expands and the comfort zone expands. And then you go to the third trail. And likewise, it will continue to push you outside of that comfort zone. So it's a never ending exploration of what you're capable of. It is never ending. Yep. Then there's a million trails out there. Just Google long trail list. And it's a laundry list uh, of trails you can do. And every one of them are different. Every the terrains are different. The weather conditions are different. And, you know, people I've talked to that have done the same trail multiple times, you know, you can change up and go southbound, which I don't know why you do that because southbounders are dumb, (laughs) but you you can get a different experience going southbound. So I've talked to people that have done the AT north and south and it's a completely different experience. You know, if you're doing southbound, you're going to have less crowds at the beginning. The weather's going to be different, you know, um, whereas, you know, if you do like the PCT southbound, you're, you're going to be annihilated by bugs and things like this up in Washington. Uh, it's just going to be different. So it, it, it's a good thing because it, it keeps things interesting. Even though you're doing the same trail, the, the, the seasons change and the weather changes. And, um, it, it just, like you said, adds to your toolbox and makes you a better hiker. And, um, it, it, it prepares you for future challenges for sure. So what is this thing you have against going southbound? Do you just not like going south? It's just a, it's a, <laughs> it's a joke. I, I have nothing against southbounders, honestly. It's just an ongoing joke. And it, it's, it's a stupid ongoing battle that southbounders, northbounders have, um, which some people take it way too seriously. It's all tongue-in-cheek with me, but I was like busting southbounders' balls all the time. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you never take advice from the southbounder like, you know, I've had instances where people will say, I'll, I'll come up on a stop on her. I'm like, well, you know, how's this next stretch of trail coming up? Oh, it's the sketchiest thing. You, you, you Don't go up there. It's dangerous. And then you get there and you're like, what the fuck was he just talking about? This is the easiest shit in the world. So, you know, I, I try not to, t- I take what stop on her say with uh, a grain of salt for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about perspective. But something in my head. I don't know what it is. I just like hiking northbound. It's it's just like yeah, I always say hiking north is an addiction. It's about going northbound in my head. Mm-hmm. just feels awesome. And um, I had this mentality on the AT. I refused to slack pack any of the miles because I felt like a southbounder at that point. And I might as well go on a day hike at that point. I just want to carry my gear from the southern terminus to the northern terminus. It's just something romantic and special about that whole heading north thing that I absolutely love. So. Yeah, I'll continue to bust southbounders balls, but whether you do it southbound or northbound, you're still a through hiker in my book. Yeah. And, and 
Also, what I love so much about it is that that you can define, I mean, I know that there are the purists out there, but but you can define what the through hike is for you. You know, do you slack pack? Are you doing this? Are you always sleeping, staying on the trail or, you know, whatever that is, but you define it for yourself because that's, you are the one who gains meaning from it. Exactly. It's, it's your hike. You do what you want. There's nothing wrong with flipping. There's nothing wrong with slack packing. If that's what you want to do, go for it. I had plenty of friends that uh, Aqua Blaze took the Shenandoahs through the AT and had a blast. And that's the experience they wanted. Um, I, with that being said, I don't, you know, yellow blazing is a whole different mm-hmm. thing. If you're hitching rides and skipping trail and calling yourself a through hiker, I think that's bullshit. But, you know, as far as slack packing goes and flip flopping, it's, it's whatever you want to do. It's your, your hike. So do what you want to do. For me personally, I love hiking northbound. So that's what I'll continue to try to do. Yeah. What, what was your trail name out there? I be Ted is my trail name, which, uh, I might as well explain Please. it to you because I've explained it 5 billion <laughs> times over the last two years. Uh, so the I be Ted, most people assume it's from, cause I'm covered in ink, mm-hmm. right? Which is fine. I let people assume that now because it's just easier to say that than tell the story I'm about to tell you. So when I started my YouTube channel, it must have been like five years ago or something like that. I called it IB Tad. Now, what IB Tad is, is an acronym for a movie line. My favorite movie of all time is the movie Jeremiah Johnson, um, which if you're not familiar with that movie, it's you should definitely rent it. Um, it's Robert Redford stars in it. He plays a fur trapper after the Civil War, goes out west and becomes a fur trapper. And he the throughout the movie, he's getting attacked by... Um, Native Americans, the whole movie. They're, they're trying to, you know, assassinate him the whole movie. So there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting around the campfire and an Indian comes out of nowhere, tries to attack him. He kills the Native American and his mountain man buddy's sitting there and he says, you know, Jeremiah, maybe it's about time you get out of these mountains and go down to a town somewhere where it's safe. And he looks at him dead straight in the face with a serious look on his face and says, I've been to a town which I just loved that line. He would rather stay out in the mountains and get attacked by Indians because that's the life he loves than go down to a town where it's safer. Right. So I stole that for my YouTube channel and then people have started knowing me from that. So it stuck as a trail name. So mm-hmm. now I have to explain that story every day on trail the rest of my life, <laughs> but it's a cool story if you know it. And that's, that's where I be tech comes from. I love it. I love it. And it, and it, works secondarily as IB tat. <laughs> and it goes with my tattoos. So it's a win-win, exactly. I guess. I had a couple of trail names that, that I was called early on on the AT. People were calling me backtrack for a while because <laughs> I would forget shit at camp all the time. Um, I also got called potty mouth a lot or, you know, something to that effect because of my language. But none of those stuck. IB tat stuck, and that's what I'll be called for the rest of my trail days, I reckon. What was your favorite memory from the AT? Oh my God. That's, that's a tough one. It's a good question, but it's a tough one. It's easy to say somebody Mount is hot in, um, but I'm not going to say that one. Obviously that one's special. The it's, it's not a particular moment, specific moment, but the whole experience I had hiking through Maine was, was unbelievable, to, unbelievable to me. I had hit Maine, and first of all, I'd never been there before. 
and you hear somebody's stories about how gorgeous Maine is. And talking to previous through hikers, what was your favorite section? Maine, 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 just said over and over again. So I had it built up into my head so much uh, before I even got there. <clears throat> and it delivered for sure. When I got there, I, I got there right at peak color season when the colors were popping. It, it, at times, it was like I was hiking through a big bowl of fruity pebbles. <laughs> it was just beautiful. And, um, you know, Maine is, is rugged and you get a little bit of everything in Maine. You know, you get the waterfalls and you get the mountains and you get the views and the river crossings and everything. Just, and then having it with the perfect fall weather, which is my favorite time of the year that whole experience was was probably my favorite on the Appalachian Trail. I absolutely loved it. And that's why I have just moved up to Maine because that has been on my mind ever since I hiked through there. It made a huge impression on me. Yeah, I was going to say, you're up in Maine now, so. Yeah, there's a reason for it. I'm going to get out on the Appalachian Trail and relive some of those moments this winter, for sure, although in the snow probably because <laughs> it's not far around the corner. Yeah. Well, now you've got a little experience with snow under your belt. Absolutely. I'm going to take full advantage of that. I'm going to get me some <laughs> snowshoes and uh, get Roscoe out in the snow this year on the AP. It's going to be it's going to be awesome, at least this winter. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I want to do a lot of hiking in the uh, snow up in the whites as well. Um, there was a couple of times throughout the whites that I didn't catch views due to, you know, storms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of places I need to revisit and, and catch those views and experience it in the wintertime because uh, the White Mountains of New Hampshire are something special as well. I I am picturing in my head uh, Roscoe with uh, well I'm picturing Roscoe in the snow in the deep snow and and I'm not picturing him moving very far actually. I have a the only video I have of have of him when he was a puppy. Uh, he could fit in the palm of my hand, but his ears and his paws are the same size, so he just looks like a clown. But it's him. I got him when I lived in Montana, and there was like three feet of snow on the ground. And there's a video of him just like looking like a kangaroo jumping from like <laughs> post hole to post hole and his ears flapping up in the air. It's, it's the most adorable thing ever. Um, Roscoe loves the snow. He's a Montana dog, so he's no stranger to it. He, he loves it. I, I can't wait for the, the videos this winter. Oh, I'm, I'm going to, I need to replace my camera because, you know, I lost yeah. my camera at Stevens Pass, unfortunately, and I shed a tear and I'm still heartbroken over it, but I'm already nerding out on new camera gear. So, I will uh, get that, and I will be camera in hand um, up here in the main woods, hiking my ass off this winter for sure. And I will be filming it, every bit of it. Your uh, your fans uh, would revolt if you didn't. I know, right? They they, they want to see <laughs> Roscoe hiking more than me at this point. They're probably sick of my ass at this point, but they all want to see Roscoe P. Waggletails tearing up the trail. So I will deliver Roscoe P. Waggletails for sure. <laughs> What was your favorite memory or favorite moment from the PCT? Ooh, so the, the PCT is all a blur to me at this moment yeah. in time because it's so fresh. Yeah. Let's see. Give me a second. I'll, I'll think of something here. Um, obviously the Sierra, um, being up that elevation, I had never done that before. Just the grandeur of the Sierras was, was unreal. Um, particularly going over Forester Pass, the views you get from up there are just mind-blowing. Uh, it's just a sea of snow-covered peaks. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I remember sitting on top of Forester, and we had tried to get up there before the sunrise so we could see the sunrise as we were sitting up top. Uh, it took us a little longer than expected, but 
the sunrise was just happening as I was sitting up on top of Forrester and seeing the, the sun hit that snow, that fresh snow in the morning was just unbelievably beautiful. And that memory will be burned into my, my mind forever. Seeing that view from the top Forrester Pass was, was definitely one that sticks out in my mind right off, right off the top of my head. Did it feel a little bit like you were at the top of the world? Absolutely right. It's it's it, it, yeah. You do feel on top of the world. It's just a sea of mountains as far as the eye can see in every direction, and they're all snow peaked, and it's just it's beautiful, unbelievable. Yeah, the the pictures from that were were pretty incredible. It's a special place for sure. I hope most people get to experience something like that in their life. If it's not a through hike, go to these places, and and you know. And, and visit them. There's so many damn places in the United States that I haven't seen yet. And my, my bucket list is getting longer and longer every day. But there are places out in the United States right now that people have not seen. You need to go see these places. They're beautiful. They're unbelievable. And they will change you. I think just spending that amount of time even in nature, even a small amount of time that's, in that's, nature will change you. Nature nature is the best healer. At least it was yeah. for me. It's, it's the reason I'm sober today. Mother Nature healed me in more ways than one. And um, I get choked up all the time in random times just hiking through the woods. Mother Nature is powerful as hell. And um, it's where I'm happiest. And it, it, it never fails. I feel better every time I come back from being in the woods, whether it's a day hike or a six-month-long journey. I, I feel great. Is there anything you feel like we should talk about that we haven't at this point? Well, I'm an open book. I mean, I'll talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to expand on that uh, sobriety topic a little bit, if yeah, I could, because please. that's something that, that's near and dear to me. And, um, you know, it's so the whole vlogging thing and, and getting a following is, is, is awesome. And I appreciate that people get different things out of watching me on YouTube. The, the, the most important thing I get, the most special thing I've gotten from that is, I'll have people, you know, being a sober hiker, if you're not familiar with my backstory, I was a major alcoholic for like 15 years and it took over my life and I was, it damn near killed me. And when I sobered up is when I first started getting into backpacking five years ago and it's kept me sober this past five years. And, um, people have related to that story. So I've gotten comments before, you know, you know, I, I was a heroin addict for years and years and years, or I was an alcoholic for years and years and years. And because of watching you hike these trails, I have sobered up or I've gotten cleaned and now I'm out hiking with my kids or I've went out and bought my back, first backpack and I'm out doing day hikes now. That that kind of shit is is awesome to me because I know the feeling and I know when I first got sober, I didn't have I wasn't watching some idiot on YouTube hiking <laughs> to motivate me to do that. I just found it on my own. But I know how powerful that moment was when I first went into Glacier National Park with a backpack and I felt whole again. I felt like a, a human being again, like I could live and I was on this earth for a purpose again. That's the feeling I got from backpacking when I first sobered up. So when people reach out to me and thank me for inspiring them to clean up and, and get sober, it means a lot to me because I know exactly what they're going through. And, um, and I, you know, do you hear so many stories, especially on the Appalachian Trail, how it's a party trail and, I'll never be able to do it sober because there's booze and drugs everywhere. Well, that's true. I'm not going to say there isn't, but you don't have to participate in that. You know, I was sober and I was around booze, but 
oftentimes I would just set my tent up away from that shit and stay away from it. If it bothers you that much, you know, you don't have to give into that whole hike your trash, quote unquote, party animal lifestyle. Um, you know, I, I'm a perfect example of that I'm sober and I don't need that shit. Where I get my jollies is from climbing mountain peaks these days and being in mother nature and taking walks in the woods. That's what keeps me sober. And that's my, and that's my drug. So if you're hesitant about, um, doing a long trail sober, if you're having problems with it, don't be just, you know, be confident that you're, you, you can be strong. And if you're, you're going to stay sober and overcoming something like that, hiking something like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail will be easy for you because quitting booze was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. So these trails nowadays, I, anytime I'm coming up on a hard part or I'm struggling, I just think back to where I was five years ago and how hard it was getting off of booze. And that oftentimes pushes me through the next mile or even the next footstep on the trail. So did getting sober or starting to, or strapping a pack on and starting to hike come first? Well, it, it was almost simultaneously. Uh, it happened at the same time, basically. I got sober. Basically, I woke up the day after my birthday, um, and I, I looked in the mirror and I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm done drinking. That's, I'm, I'm over it. And so I went cold turkey. And then literally three days later, I went to REI and bought a backpack. I was living 30 miles from Glacier National Park. I had all this beautiful backyard that I had spent four years living next to and never experienced it once because I was stuck in a bar room those four years. So it was literally three days after the fact. I went out and bought a backpack. I went out and bought a mountain bike, and I started getting out in Glacier National Park and enjoying the outdoors. And so that immediately set me on a path to remain sober, and I never looked back. I never went to AA. I never... You know, not to say A doesn't work. It just didn't work for me. I needed to get out and take a walk in the woods and that healed me, uh, slowly but surely. Now I'm not saying I'm perfect and that I don't struggle with that to this day because I still do and I still have those triggers, but I know how to deal with those triggers a lot easily, more easily now. Um, I know I need to get out in the woods. If I, if it's been, you know, more than a week or two and I'm starting to get stressed out, I understand, okay, it's time to go take a walk in the woods and clear your damn head. And it works every time. So, But that was something that you inadvertently discovered, it sounds like. Well, yeah, the whole backpacking and like overnight trips, it was new to me. I had grown up in Michigan as a deer hunter. So the whole being out in the woods thing, I had grown up as an outdoorsman. But the whole backpacking thing, I had never done before. So that I discovered. But well, mainly because the town I lived in in Montana, it does have a very big outdoor community. So you see people out doing that stuff all the time. And so I, I figured, oh, shit, I'll, I'll try that. You know, see, people seem to be into that around here. So, yeah, the backpacking thing was new. But as far as being in the woods, um, you know, I had experience with that from from my childhood. Do you find yourself, I guess this is kind of a chicken or the egg question. Do you find yourself when you start to struggle going to nature or do you find yourself in nature realizing that you had been struggling? Do you know what I'm saying? So you're saying when to deal with stressors and like the triggers and things like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's when I know I, I understand, I know what works for me and what's going to get me through that particular moment in time. If I'm craving alcohol or something like that, then yes, I know I need to get out in the woods because I know that works for me. That's 
you know, but now where I'm at today is that's just part of my lifestyle. So I, I don't really need to say, okay, I need to get out in the woods because that's what I do anyway. Now, nowadays, it's just part of my lifestyle. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you've, you've basically created a lifestyle that hopefully, or more often, I should say more often than not, has built in an outlet um, versus you having to have that self-awareness moment of, Oh shit, I haven't, I haven't been in nature uh, more. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, it was like, I had to, I had to train myself into knowing that's what I had to do. But yeah, now it's become, whereas my lifestyle was closing out a bar five, six nights a week, that's all I knew and that's what I did. Now it's just, it's a different whole, whole different lifestyle. I don't think in those terms anymore. Now I just nerd out on trail life 24 hours a day, basically, <laughs> and listen to hiking podcasts. People are like, what kind of podcast do you listen on trail? I, I'm a nerd. I listen to hiking podcasts while I'm on trail. That's all I think about. And I think it's part of my addictive personality. You know, yeah. I just, when I, when I get my mindset on something, that's what I obsess over. So now luckily it's something a little more healthy for me than downing a bottle of Jack Daniels, you know, six nights a week. You go for full immersion. Full immersion. It's, it's uh <laughs> go full fucking bore or go home with me. I, I there's no in between. It was that old uh, Ron Swanson quote. Don't uh half-ass two things, whole ass one thing. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of mentality I have. I, I was when you said that I was kind of thinking of the uh, burn the boats and take the island. Yeah, there you go. Same, same concept. <laughs> you had a comment on one of your videos. I'm forgetting. It must have been in the Sierras, but that there was a a trail closure because there was, I believe, it was a bear teaching cubs how to hunt. So that was uh, around Crater Lake in Oregon. Oh, okay, so that's um, Oregon. Yeah. So if you go back, there was a couple of vloggers. Somebody had sent me links to their videos that they had actually seen this mother mountain lion um, on trail. It was a mountain lion, yeah. And by the time I got there, they'd already closed. It was a mile and a half section of trail. The only section of trail that was closed this year, which didn't really matter because it was at the Crater Lake Junction where every PCT hiker takes that junction off the PCT anyway. I don't know why that's not actually part of the PCT, because if you take the actual PCT around there, you're not seeing any of Crater Lake, which is the most one of the most iconic places around there. So anyway, that section of trail was closed because the mother mountain lion was teaching her cub how to hunt and apparently using hikers as bait. So um, oh there was there was there was signs posted everywhere. But like I said, it didn't matter because I was going to take that that junction yeah. trail anyway to go check out Crater Lake. So. Yeah, it it seems almost criminal that Crater Lake isn't actually on the trail. But well, I guess I can see why they do it because they don't want the traffic, and it's already a busy, yeah. a busy enough place as is. But it's just so beautiful that every PCT PCT hiker takes it anyway. So mm-hmm. might as well make it part of the trail itself. Yeah. What what also amazes me or astounds me, considering how wide of a hunting ground mountain lions generally have, that they only had to close a mile and a half of the trail. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know the habits of mountain lions. I don't have a lot of experience with them. Um, I've heard them scream in the woods when I lived in Montana, but I've never actually seen one in the wild. So I, I'm that's 
that's something that I'm unaware of. I don't know what their their track record is or how far they can cover ground. Mm-hmm. I, I I've heard of them stalking hikers, you know, but I've never had an experience with one. So it's it's definitely in the back of your mind. I think mean, people just put the fear of God into you about it. But you know, how many hikers, through hikers, have been attacked by mountain lions in the past? You know, 50 years. I'd like to see the stats. Probably not very many. So they're out there. They're definitely out there. Um, that last section of the North Cascades, you know, we got fresh snow every, every night and you could see the tracks every single morning. So, you know, oh, wow. and some of them were pretty big. So there was a full ground mountain lion that was hugged down the PCT, that very stretch that we did that last, that last week on trail. It was, it was fresh, fresh tracks in the morning. So they were definitely out there. You're aware of them, but I never saw one. So ignorance is bliss. I guess, you know, if, if a mountain lion's going to charge me, what am I going to do? There's not much I can do. Do a little dance and, you know, try to entertain them before he, you know, slits my jugular about, you know, just there's not much you can do at that point. It's funny that you say that because I literally was just talking to somebody and I just released the episode with uh, Starburst and she had uh-huh. a mountain lion stalking her for a number of days. Um, is that right? Yeah, and and she literally saw it three times. Um, yeah, and I just—it's it, again—it's sort of like watching a shark movie and then going into the ocean. Like I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's there's they're scary to think about. Uh, if it's not too much of a sidetrack, I'll tell you a story about when I lived out in Montana. My only somewhat experience I had with a mountain lion. My summers I spent out when I lived out west were up in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. I was working on a ranch up there doing pack trips and basically a ranch hand. But um, there was a generator house on our property, which part of my daily routine was to go turn on the generator in the morning and then turn it off at night. So, um, you know, I had known the route. It's probably a hundred yards from my cabin. So one night I went out to go turn the generator off like I always did. And I didn't bring my headlamp because I knew the way, even though it was dark. But you know, it was probably a bad idea because I had that feeling <laughs> like the horror movie feeling something was watching me, but I couldn't see shit. Um, so yeah. I basically turned off the generator and then ran the hundred yards back to my cabin, like a little, you know, bitch and crawl into my, my bed. Well, the next morning I went out there to turn the generator on, like I always did, but there was mountain lion tracks leading up to that generator house. I looked on top of the generator house and there was melted snow where that mountain lion had been laying there. <laughs> that night when I went out there. So that thing was sitting on top of that Jenner house, probably the the very moment I was out there turning it off oh. and could have just easily jumped down and, and took me out, but never did. <laughs> so that was my only, I guess, somewhat close encounter with a mountain lion that I never did see. Yeah. Hindsight is so much better. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll take the ladder. <laughs> I guess going back to the ignorance is bliss thing. Yeah, I don't want to have I don't want to have those cool stories that you know, like Zach Davidson has that story about well, that mountain lion charged him in the desert. I don't want to have stories like that. I don't want to have to experience that. That's exactly, the cool story, bro. But I, I I'll go with you know, not seeing a rattlesnake or not seeing a mountain lion or a grizzly bear from up close. I'll I'll, I'll take that for sure any day of the week. Yeah. Did you have any bear sightings? Plenty of black bear through California and. uh I think I saw a couple in Oregon, maybe. Um, yeah, they're, they're all over California. You know, black bears are, I'm used to them from, well, I don't know if East Coast black bears and, and West Coast black bears have the same mentality. On the East Coast in North Carolina, they're 
just big raccoons. You just basically yell at them, they run away, just looking for food. Uh, very similar experience to the black bears in California. There was a couple I had to scare out of uh, potential camp spots that I, you know, wanted to. I'm like, this is my camp spot. I'm tired. I'm not walking anymore. So bear, you're leaving. I'm not. I'm staying. So you yell at them, they run away. But yeah, no, nothing like you know, Smokey the Bear trying to get in my picnic basket or anything like that. Yeah, we'll save that for the CDT. Yeah, I know the grizzlies out there. I've, yep. I've seen them when I lived out in Montana. They're they're nothing to mess around with. So bear spray will be in hand for sure. Absolutely. How was hitchhiking for you? Surprisingly easy. I know. Surprisingly, I say because you know I look like a serial killer basically with the beard and the tattoos. But <laughs> yeah, hitchhiking has become very easy on the trail. The more popular these trails get people are getting used to seeing hikers in every single town along these, these long trails. So, you know, they're no stranger to the locals. Most of them will pick you up. Um, it's when you're around, you know, touristy areas or you get people from out of state, just tourists, they're not going to pick you up. But I think the longest hitch I ever had on the trail this year was about two hours, which is actually fairly long. It was in the desert and I can't remember exactly what town it was. It was where you had to road walk it a fairly long ways. And I sat there and I was damn near out of water and it was probably damn near a hundred degrees out. And I said, well, uh, you know, I, I got to start doing something. So I started walking down the highway and I probably walked a good, you know, I don't know, what, two or three miles before somebody picked me up and it was like two hours. Um, but other than that, it's usually, you know, half hour, 45 minutes at the most. And today, nowadays with Uber and everything else, if you, as long as you're within uh, a somewhat legit town, you can get Uber as a last resort, you know. But I think hitchhiking is a lost art that you shouldn't be afraid of it. I mean, if you're a, a solo female or even a solo male, I stereotype there, but, you know, in reality, a female, you, you got to be aware and just, you know, have a knife on you or pepper spray and, and don't be scared of it, but, you know, do it a couple times with the group and then you get used to it and then it becomes actually kind of fun. It's like <laughs> when I got here to town, here up in Maine, I don't have a car, right? So I had to go down to the Wally World because I don't have any clothes. All I had was my stinky ass hair clothes to wear every day. So I had to go down to Walmart to actually buy clothes to wear so that I looked civilized. And it was like two miles down from my house. And I said, screw this. I'm going to put my thumb in the air. And I hitchhiked back to my house uh, oh, here in really? town. So I'm, I'm so used to doing it at this point. Yeah. So what is the art to hitchhiking, to successfully hitchhiking? Well, Okay, so if you follow me on Instagram, you see multiple pictures of me flipping the bird with with, with the thumb in the air as well. Don't do that. Yes. That doesn't work. That's just for Instagram <laughs> purposes only. Um, so I have two. I had original theory on the AT that if you looked, you had to be standing up, and your pack had to be resting with your trekking poles resting against your pack, and you know, looking like you're hitchhiking, right? And I thought that was the only way it worked. Now. On the PCT this year, I started out doing that, but then I got really lazy and I said, I'm sick of standing up here. I'm going to sit my ass down on the road and do the same exact thing, but I'm going to be comfortable. And it was just as easy hitching that way too. So, um, you know, looking pathetic and desperate sitting down, like I can't even stand anymore because I'm sitting here so long. I think that actually works pretty good. People feel sorry for you. I, I think so. If you look desperate enough, people will pick you up. I, at least that that's what works for me towards the latter part of the, the PCT this year. And also a tip for if, you, if you're if you an ugly looking dude like me, 
and you're hiking with a beautiful woman, let's say like my hiking partner, Feathers, who I drew with, mm-hmm. and off through Oregon, I would hide in the bushes off the road <laughs> and let her go out there in her little running skirt and get a hitch. And usually she would slide down a car within seconds. So that's a little tip for all you solo hiking guys out there. Find a, find a good looking hiker girl. And at least when you know you're about to go into town and um, hitch a ride with her, it'll be a hell of a lot easier. So, so what was res- the response of the drivers once she's flagged them down and then you come out of the bushes? <laughs> uh, so I had, a, I had a couple say, oh, touche, you've done this a time or two. <laughs> like, yep, I've learned. Put her out <laughs> on the road. And but they say, all right, we already got, we got you now. I guess we have to give you a ride too. Yeah, I had a couple people say that, but most people are cool. You know, there's a lot of people that pick up hikers aren't even hikers themselves. They just love through hikers. And they love hearing our stories. So they'll pick up hikers just to hear our stories and where we come from and what kind of backgrounds we have, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I feel like the the trail angels, trail magic, picking up hitchhikers, providing a place to stay in somebody's house, that kind of stuff. People love the good karma, obviously, but they also love being part of somebody's amazing, immense journey. And and it doesn't go unnoticed. We remember, at least I remember Trail Angels years later. I you know I can tell you stories of of Trail Angels that picked me up early on on the AT when I was green as can be as a through hiker. Um, I still remember those people to this day. It, it makes an impression. So even you know setting out a cooler of water or soda on the road, you don't even have to be there. Don't think that that doesn't go unnoticed because, you know, if you're hiking in extreme heat and you come up in the middle of the desert and there's a, a, a soda there at a road crossing, that will change a hiker's life beyond belief. It, it's amazing. So even, you know, just giving rides and things like that, it, it goes a long way with those hikers. It, it, it does mean a lot. And that's why one of the reasons why I want to give back and do that myself this year, because I want to be that guy giving out hot dogs and, and coolers of soda and things like that, because I know how much it means to those hikers. It's, it's so interesting you saying that or putting it in those specific terms, because what flashed through my, my brain was, you know, how many times in our normal lives do we have the opportunity to literally change somebody's life? And yeah, not very often. You know, and, and through doing this stuff, hitch, you know, picking up hitchhikers and trail angel, trail magic and, you know, that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you're doing that. Yeah. You're changing their life in one way or not. It may be small, but mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is helping them and making their day better. I mean, through hiking is brutal. It's as brutal as it is beautiful. And your pain, you're going through pain out there all, almost every day. So a little bit of a luxury, like even a, if it's just a ride to town, just will ch- at least change that person's day, if not their whole hike. It, it goes a long way, for sure. Yeah, there's a ripple effect. Absolutely, absolutely. And some people, they, they get into that lifestyle, very similar to thru-hikers who get hooked into that. Some people do trail magic one year, and mm-hmm. they get hooked into doing that. And they they're not, like I said, they're not even hikers, but they just love being around hikers and helping them out and they see the smiles on their faces and hearing their stories. Um, it's, it's awesome to get into that. I mean, if, even if you're not a hiker, go go be around hikers. They're cool people. I mean, they stink, but you know, they, they got cool <laughs> stories. 
stay upwind. You might have to you might have to go detail your car after you give them a ride, but you know, <laughs> put on a towel or something, you'll be all right. So so anybody who lives around the trails should always carry some extra towels in their car so they can lay it on the seats. Probably a good tip, yeah. <laughs> don't be afraid don't be afraid to be an asshole either. Like if if a hiker's soaking wet and or, or you know, don't be afraid mm-hmm. to say, Hey, can you mind taking your boots off or or, uh, you know, putting your, you know, taking your rain gear off so it's not dripping over my car. Don't be afraid to do that. And the Rikers will be so appreciative that they're getting out of the rain that they won't care. So yeah, keep your shit clean, but you know, <laughs> be friendly to hikers too. Yeah. So if people want to ask you questions or follow your continuing adventures, where should they do that? Well, I haven't quite jumped on that Facebook train, but Instagram, um, is uh where i do most of my i uh, love photography i'm posting on that all day long and i have thousands of pictures i haven't posted yet so if you're not quite sick of my adventure yet you can follow me on instagram at saved by mountains and uh, i'll be posting on there for a very long time over the the pct photos i have are are just thousands and then youtube obviously um i've vlogged the last few through hikes so you can go back and watch every day of the AT and as well as now the PCT and that's uh, IBTAT on YouTube, IBTAT. And that's that, about all the social media I do these days. <laughs> is IBTAT, I'm trying to remember, is it one word or is there a space in there? I think YouTube, the way YouTube has it lined out, there is a space. It goes IB space TAT. But if you just search IBTAT in one word on YouTube, it'll pop up. Okay, perfect. It's been amazing talking to everybody, you know, yourself included, and just hearing how transformative the trail is. It's unbelievable. Until you yeah. do it, you'll 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 understand and you'll have all the same the same experience in in your own way. But yeah, this this whole through hiking business, it will change you as a person, no doubt about it. What what do you think has been the biggest change for you from from the trails, from the through hiking? I like to say I'm more patient, but that's not always true because <laughs> in the off season, I am originally when I get home. And then the longer I spend in town, I can see my old habits coming back where I'm, I'm losing patience with people. Whereas now it's like I'm taking my time. You know, I don't let things bother me. It's like very relaxed. I'm in that through hiker mentality still. Um, the longer I spend in town, I notice that those, those old habits creep up. But just I don't I don't bitch about things that I used to bitch about a lot of times. I let things roll off my back a little bit easier. Maybe not so like trolls on YouTube and Instagram comments, but uh, that, still gets, oh, uh, that still gets under my skin. But um, Your response to, part, to trolls is priceless. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at that because it's not worth it in all reality. It's yeah. usually when I'm having a bad day and I catch one of those comments, then it throws me off the deep end. But I also have no problem. You know, some of my best rants on YouTube come from those <laughs> comments. So, yes. um, yeah, a lot of people do get kicked out of that. But I, I'm trying as a personal goal to let that shit slide off 100% and just get it out of my life because it's, it's just really not worth it. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like you've worked hard to fill your life with this other good, positive stuff and getting sucked into the troll. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so much other, the positive far away is the negative and that's what I need to concentrate yeah. on. So what is, what has been from your followers, subscribers, 
that kind of stuff. Like what has mm-hmm. been the most amazing thing to come out of that? And I have a feeling it's probably not something that you were ever expecting when you, when you kind of started this. So when I mentioned that I wouldn't have finished the trail without them this year, that was not an exaggeration. There was a point in time, you know, I get paid through YouTube and it's not that much, but it does pay for some stuff. But there was a point in time on the trail. I can't remember where I was at, where I, I literally looked at my bank account and I had $250 left. And I think I had like 1200 miles or something left to go. I'm like, I'm going broke. I'm going to, I'm going to have to get off trucks. I ran out of money. And people reached out and bought me gear and, you know, basically pumped my bank account back full and pay for all my resupplies and hotel stays. So it was able, I was able to get back up the trail again because I was out of money at one point. So that was huge. Um, I, I, there's, there's a million specific stories. There was this dude. I was going into Truckee, California, and he knew I was getting close because I kept my Instagram pretty up to date. And he says, well, when you get to Truckee, hit me up and I'll, you know, if you need a ride or whatever. I said, cool. So I get to the road and I, I hit him up. I said, yeah, I could use a ride in the Truckee if you're available. So he meets me at the trailhead. He's got a six pack of Diet Coke cold <laughs> in his trunk waiting for me. So I dialed that in the parking lot. And then we're, we're on our way to town and he's like, man, your shoes are looking pretty rugged. I said, yeah, it's about time for some new ones. So this guy drives me to Reno to the REI, buys me a new pair of ultras. And then I get out of the REI. He says, well, where are you staying tonight? I said, well, there's a hostel in Truckee. If you can just drop me up there, it'd be great. He says, I got a better idea. I just booked you a hotel at the, uh, Atlantis in Reno at the casino. You're staying there t- for, for tonight. So <laughs> that was like the full treatment. It was, it was unreal. And that happens a lot for me on trail now, which is still mind blowing. And I still feel guilty about it many times, but you know, people want to help. So I don't, I don't, you know, stop them from helping me for sure. It's unreal, but you know, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, has it ever struck you in terms of like what you're putting out into the world through your vlogs and, and so forth has inspired these responses in people i'm i'm slowly kind of understanding it i still don't understand it fully um you see people like darwin and dixie who have made a Mm -hmm. full-time career at this thing um and i i i i kind of get it through their perspective but for me it's always been a personal journal for me and it still will always be a personal journal for me. I love making videos that will never change. I do it because I love to do it. I never did it for the recognition. I never did it so I could get free resupplies or hotel rooms or any of that shit. When I started the AT, I was filming um, the previous two years. I was filming weekend trips, just going out with my dog, you know, filming weekend trips because I wanted that to look back on. Now, when I started the AT, I'm like, well, some of these bloggers, I, I kind of got information from them and I enjoyed watching some bloggers. So I said, well, I kind of know how to do this shit. I'll just do it for myself so that I have these memories to look back on. So when I started the AT, I think I had just reached a thousand subscribers. I had somewhat of a base. Uh, but by the time I finished the AT, I had 5,000 and now I'm like damn near 10,000. So it's snowballed and um, I don't know how to take it all at this point still. It's still <laughs> shock to me. But I, I love the fact that I'm, I've been able to use it as a platform, which I never did before, to inspire others. Um, that's an avenue that I'm, I'm embracing wholeheartedly. 
I love inspiring people to get out in the woods and I, I get it almost on a daily basis now. You know, people planning their through hikes because of me who would never would have never done it before. That is special. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm able to do that. And just by, you know, being an idiot on the internet for ten minutes a day. <laughs> yeah. You're you're a dude who found another option. Who found another way. There's another there's other avenues is all I'm yeah. trying to say. Yep. It's pretty amazing how like the episode that literally went up this week with, with Akuna, um, talking to him, you know, there are moments, there were moments for me. Luckily it was, luckily it was a podcast and not video, but there were moments for yeah. me listening to him talk where it's just, you feel it, you feel it in your heart, you know, and, and, uh, I need to, I haven't listened to that episode yet and I just, found out about him um through social media i had never heard of him before um and i think actually hyperlight did maybe a, a short film on him if i'm not mistaken a while back but he that, that was his triple crown right he just finished yep. this year in CT. Yep. yeah i need to i need to reach out to him because i'm interested in his story i want to i want to research him a little bit because he seems like an awesome dude and i'll definitely yeah. listen to that episode tomorrow and uh get a little backstory on him yeah, no, it it is a really incredible story. And, you know, talking about somebody who found another option through nature, he, uh, he's a veteran, suffers, okay. suffered severe PTSD. Okay. You know, depression, suicidal, the whole bit. And just happened to come, in that case, it happened to come across the movie Wild, yep. you know, that poked him. As many people do. And like I said, Bill yeah. Bryson in the Walk in the Woods book, that's what got me originally. Yeah, it's Mother Nature is amazing. And it's it's sad to see, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but it, it mm -hmm. seems to me that doctors, and I was a paramedic for two years in Detroit uh, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've had quite a lot of life. But uh, yeah, I was a paramedic for two years. And I remember when I was going to school as a medic, you have to do your clinicals in the ER, you know, as well as the ambulance. And I remember being in the hospital, some of those graveyard shifts and seeing all the doctors pumping people full of medication. And it was, it just sickened me and people would get hooked on these things. And I've known people that have that surgeries or whatever else and got hooked on these Oxycontins and then just destroyed their lives. You know, first let's try to go these alternative ways. And with, before you immediately, you know, write a prescription, Maybe go take a walk in the woods. There's these inner city kids and there's programs popping up all over the country that are taking inner city kids out of the inner city and getting them out in nature. And it's helping these kids amazingly. Sometimes that's yeah. all you need. You know, and medication works for a lot of people. And I'm not saying that's, that's not an option, but at least for me, there's, there's definitely other options. You know, I've had so many people tell me that I'll never get sober without AA or finding religion or, you know, you need to do it this way. I tried all that. I went to rehab twice. I, I went to AA. Nothing worked until I looked in the mirror and said, look, this is up to you. If you want to get sober, you're going to get sober. And I just so happened to find Mother Nature, and that worked for me. So I I, 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 I get it where he's coming from, even though it's a different background. Mm -hmm. um, he was suffering in one way, and Mother Nature healed him like it healed me. The universe works in mysterious ways. Absolutely right. I know I always because I'm not religious in any way, shape or form, but I always 
half jokingly, half seriously say that the fates are uh, spinning quite the, or weaving quite the web over there. I always say that, you know, the woods are my church now, because even though I'm not religious, there is a spiritual connection you feel to that. And there was times I found, like if you watch the movie Wild, and you see Reese Witherspoon drop to her knees and start bawling her eyes out, that happened to me multiple times. And it's funny because that happened to me in Oregon during a downpour like it did in that movie. And something <laughs> came over me and the the rain stopped and I saw the sun and break through the clouds and go across the trail. And I was dripping, soaking wet, been hiking in rain all day long. My hands were frozen and I saw that sunlight and I dropped to my knees and I bawled my eyes out for like five minutes. It's just something spiritual um, that you do feel out there at times. It's crazy. How often did you find yourself overcome with emotion like that? I would say weekly. It, it would happen oh, really? quite often, actually. Yeah. And it wasn't just me. You hear from other hikers all the time. Um, you'll get up to a view, a certain view, and something will overtake you emotionally and you'll just lose it. It happened quite often. It happened to me on the AT a lot, too. I would just start bawling my eyes out just because I felt it was it wasn't tears out of sadness. It was just joy and being free. And, and this is where I want to be right now. And I'm, I've never been happier in my life. It's that kind of that kind of a feeling. It's awesome. It's almost like you're so full up that it's leaking out of your eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. And it'll hit you when you least expect it, too. It's crazy. Like everybody was expecting me to cry at the Northern Terminus, which I, I bawled my eyes out to Todd in because that was just monumental. And, mm -hmm. you know, on the video, if you watch my final video on the PCT, I didn't cry at the Terminus. Never did. It never happened. But what, what didn't show up on the video is I literally cried like a quarter mile before I got to Terminus. I like uh. dropped to my knees and bawled before that because I knew it was about to happen. And that morning we had hiked down from 7,000 feet. It was freezing and we were soaking wet. It started to rain. So all our shit was wet. And we were, our hands were numb. And right before we got to the terminus, the clouds parted and the sun came out and the skies became blue. And when that happened, I lost my shit. And that was like literally just before I got to the northern terminus. It was awesome. I was like, Mother Nature's telling me something. We earned this shit and we deserve it. It's weather. It was powerful. But it, that never came, came over in the video. I just never, I didn't have the camera rolling at the time. But yeah. It's awesome. It's an awesome feeling. It's so interesting that you say that because watching that final video with you at the monument and you leaning against it, sitting, leaning against it. I think, I think a little bit of that moment a half a mile before seeps mm -hmm. through because yeah. watching that for me, I was overcome by the power of whatever that feeling was that was in there you know what i mean mm, yeah 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 the, the, i'm sure the music helped a little bit <laughs> but um, yeah, well there is the the whole cinematic filmmaking part of it which is great for pulling heartstrings but right now but that, that whole situation i mean the whole leading up to when you're finishing a long trail it happened to me climbing mount katata and too your your mind is just a rolodex of memories and it's like you hear people that are, uh, have died or they, their whole life flashing before their eyes before they die. Mm -hmm. It's like that kind of a feeling. You start having a Rolodex of all these images that you just hiked through the past six months, and they all come flashing through your head at once. 
and you remember what you were feeling back at the desert when you were dehydrated and hot and shit, and then going through Oregon when it's pissing rain on you, you have all these memories flashing through your mind all at once, knowing you're about to finish. And when you actually hit the terminus, it's like, it's a mixed emotion of like relief that you you're done, but also sadness that it's over with all those memories are our memories. That's all they are. Now you can't live it anymore on your daily day, day to day life. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely a mixed feeling when you, when you reach the, the terminus. And, and like anything, you know, that it's over. It's over until the next one, <laughs> which I think is probably part of the addiction. Yep. Yep. You, I'm, you know, I'm already thinking about the CDT. Um, I, I wish I, I really want to do it next year, but realistically, I think I need a year off. My body needs a year off and my mind needs a year off. Um, so I know I'm going to be missing the trail, the long distance trail next year, but I'm going to get out and do a lot of sections. I'm going to surround myself with hikers. And now that I've landed a job with Hyperlight here in Maine, I'll be around that environment. So I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be making gear basically. So that's going to help me with this transition this year. Whereas last year I went back to my old job working in a hundred degree kitchen, flipping eggs. And <laughs> how do you tell somebody that has never shit in the woods before what you had just experienced? You know, it's just, it's impossible. So. Yeah. All the folks there up here in Maine and especially at Hyperlight know what I've gone through and it'll make my transition a little bit easier. But we'll get on the CDT eventually because like I said, the Triple Crown was the goal from the beginning. So You you knew that going in. Absolutely. Yep. When is this all or none? And especially even if you didn't plan on doing the triple crown, once you do two, you're almost required to do the third <laughs> one anyway. Just just for shits and giggles, you know. Yeah. With with you being at Hyperlight, I could totally see you uh, dropping a couple messages in some of the the backpacks or something that somebody's gonna open up and find and, and be inspired <laughs> to, get a, to get up there. I'll see I'll see what I can get away with. Uh, I'm the new guy there, so I gotta behave myself a little bit. But you'll you'll start a new tradition. Yeah, right. I actually have a meeting with them tomorrow. Um, I actually haven't started quite. I haven't started work yet. They were actually trying to hold. <laughs> They were holding a sewing job for me while I was on the trail, but I lost cell service all through the oh. Cascades, basically. So I couldn't yeah. keep in contact with my boss and he had to fill the job. So they're going to get me in there doing whatever. But they, in the meantime, they're, I'm going to be working with the media guy um, on some content. So hopefully it's in the video realm and I can shoot some video with those guys. That's right up your alley. Absolutely. I'm stoked about it. I can't wait. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to start filming again. <laughs> For sure. It's an addiction to tell, again, being from a production side of things, being from a, you know, TV film side of things. Yeah. It's an addiction to tell a story and to tell it and particularly to tell a story well that moves people. Yeah. And you'd ask me the question of whether or not I plan out the day's filming based on mm -hmm. that. And there were absolutely times where I was filming and I was telling a story. So, you know, I would film all the beautiful stuff, obviously, but, you know, I would also film little detail stuff that I knew as B-roll was going to help move that day's video along and tell the full story. So you don't just, you know, film, oh, waking up in the morning and now I'm sitting on top of Forrester Pass. Well, how the hell did you get up there? You know, it's building, <laughs> it, it, it's building up that whole thing, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, yeah, that was definitely in the back of my mind every single day. 
how do I tell the best story for that particular day? So, uh, yeah, it's, you become a storyteller. I, I used to be a writer back in the day to write short stories, but I kind of lost that ability and, and moved into the video world. So now I like telling my story through video. You're just, you're just jumping over a step. Exactly. Yeah. People want me to write a book, but I just don't think I could do that. I was like the old, you know, the Hemingways and all the Stephen mm-hmm. Kings, they're all alcoholics. I, when I would sit down with a bottle of booze and write my ass off, but uh, once I got sober, I kind of lost the ability in my creative side of writing. So now I can just, you know, cuss and swear on YouTube and that's good enough for me. Yeah. Well, and you're also editing it basically each night. So it's very yeah. fresh. It's all fresh. Yeah. It's it's always funny though. Sometimes I get, after I get done editing a video, it's it's very satisfying to see all these individual random ass clips that I took those day being put into a 10 minute story. Mm-hmm. I, I never know how it's going to end up. And <laughs> there's many times I'll film throughout the day. I'm like, I got the shittiest footage ever today. I'll never be able to make a video out of this, but sometimes those are my best videos. Somehow I'm always able to put it together in, in one way or another. So. It's worked out thus far. I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your evening. All right. But uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on a week after you you finished such a momentous or had such a momentous finish to the trail. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for reaching out. You know, this this kind of stuff means a lot to us, too. Is we need to talk trail life, you know. Um, it, it's just there's not a lot of people around that can, can relate. So just being able to vent out everything about the trail is, is, uh, is big for us. So I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'll talk about oh, this stuff you. all day, every day. show notes and links for Jeff's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Huge thanks to Jeff for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, I'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. If you love what we're doing here, we'd also appreciate it if you'd find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.